0: Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of
1: Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And this is Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions. We are the Podcast of Champions in person. It's wild. Do we sound different? David Woods is in studio with me here in Redondo Beach, California. Uh, his voice is not doing great was, things. No? Not not wonderful his voice is they were ferocious it's, <laughs> it's here it um, is you are we are in person a uh, little under the weather maybe yeah i would say that's fair okay i would say that's fair so we might cut some questions off uh, we'll we'll see how you survive
0: odds are we won't okay. but we always say this and we always <laughs> promise we won't but then we just are dedicated to you the listener as yeah. always
1: it's awesome so it's great to have you here i'll uh, tweet out a picture of us together Uh, In the same room, uh, if you want to send us your questions, there's a lot of ways you can get a hold of us. Pac12podcast at gmail.com is the email address. Um, You can tweet us at Pac12podcast. Of course, our Google voice line is 424-532-0678, and you can text that number or you can leave a voicemail to that number. And uh, our website where you can find all our contact information, all our old episodes, all our picks, which are uh, really good this year or this week, finally. Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. You can find all that at pack12podcast.com. And uh, we're on you know Stitcher, we're on Google Play, we're on all those kind of things. So uh, please, if you're whatever podcast app you like, I started using the Google one. Uh, you're an iPhone guy, right? I'm an iPhone guy. Yeah. So I've, i you did the Google, uh, and it's pretty, it's not like, crazy bells and whistles but it's it's nice and smooth it tells you where you know if you subscribe to a bunch it'll tell you where the new ones are I'm kind of using that but wherever you use leave us some positive feedback and a five star rating is always good uh we like those yeah maybe the off season we'll we'll read some more of those you know the snarky ones the good ones we haven't gotten a snarky one in a while really They've so been they're mostly
0: good. good okay I don't care if it's snarky if it's mean if it's great just make sure it's five stars
1: yeah That's five stars we care is about. good yeah uh, but it helps. It helps uh, propagate the show. There's other people that are trying to do what we do out there, Dave. Maybe borrowing our name. Like, there's some <laughs> weird stuff. I don't like that. There are there are actually many podcasts of champions out there. There are. I
0: feel like they all came after us. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to just ride the wave of our success.
1: If they're not, there's no other podcasts of champions that are covering the Pac-12. right? There actually
0: is. There's one is? other one that's basketball focused. That's oh. by like the Arizona guys. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's like the Arizona like SB Nation site. Whatever. Um, I got to <laughs> tell you, I was asked multiple times this weekend between the bro bash we had for the 20th anniversary of bro on Friday. Oh, nice. And a variety of things over the weekend to spell Herocious.
1: Herocious?
0: For many different
1: people. And I, I'm of the belief it's one R. I put that uh, in the uh, in my little Dropbox. I put H E R. O c i o u s is that I way? went h o r because oh you are combining horrible okay
0: and atrocious
1: okay so, I feel like I'm pronouncing it
0: with an e but okay I can but ca- I go think it's fair uh, I think that's the phonetic way to to spell it for sure like if you were expelling like the dictionary definition you would spell it h e r to give the people
1: it's ferocious yeah but it's ferocious okay. So uh, I'll, I'll change it in my drop to to an O. But uh, yeah, one R is good with me. Yeah, okay. Uh, cool, cool, so cool. hashtag Herocious. Hashtag Herocious. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just play it for you guys. They were Herocious. Um, nice. Yeah, we're, we're actually, we should probably put our headphones on. If you want, you can do that. We could listen to all these things. But it's it's underneath your, uh, this is behind the scenes thing. It's like. So we now, now we know. Now we can hear each other a little bit better and stuff, but we don't need to like, usually I have to have headphones on because you're remote and we listen, but now, but to hear all the, the fun drops, like if I want to, uh, you know, do something like this. Cause we have some breaking news. We do. Uh, Mac, Mike McIntyre. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but he was the national coach of the year <laughs> in <laughs> two, 2016. Two short seasons ago. <laughs> he is, uh, he gone. Um, Rick George came out. Did you listen to that press conference at all?
0: I listened to bits and pieces of it. He sounded kind of, I don't know, a little broken up about it, kind of.
1: Yeah. So he's the athletic director. I think he does a really good job at Colorado. Um, But I I watched it live on Periscope just because I'm insane. Because you're a crazy person. I'm a crazy person. Because you like doing your job. Yeah. (laughs) The job we don't get paid to do. The job
0: that we get paid like approximately (laughs) 70 bucks a month for.
1: Um, Yeah. So it was, I, I mean... You know, he said it was hard. You know, he addressed the players and all that kind of stuff. But he made it sound like they want to win. They, You know, they, he mentioned national championships. I mean, obviously, they, you know, they won one. Um, but he talked about that like this was the greatest job in the country. And uh, that's how they're going to conduct the search. So I kind of like the the attitude there. Like, hey, man, we, we think this is an amazing job, an amazing opportunity. And he, he admitted that the program is better than it was before Mike McIntyre yeah. took over. So he, he elevated the program. Uh, I mean it's the problem is, you know, we'll see where Colorado finishes this year, right? But like you've finished last four times, potentially five. Is it yeah, could they they're gonna finish last, right? Or they're they're right around there. They're gonna finish last in the Pac twelve South, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. that would be five last place finishes and one amazing first place finish. So that's pretty feast or famine. Um I mean if you're Utah, I mean Utah won it this year, but I don't know. But that uh, the way he was speaking about it, David was like, Hey, this is a, a, you know, nationally, you know, one of the top jobs in the nation and they're going to treat it as such. Yeah.
0: And I think what McIntyre did was he got them back to a level where they're not a joke. Like they're not a joke program. Two years ago, they win the South and even going five and seven in back to back years, which is what this will probably end up being. That's still a major step above what they were doing under Embry, um, just prior to McIntyre. So, yeah, I think if you're a Colorado fan, you appreciate what McIntyre did. But I don't disagree with the firing. Like, two years ago, they were really good. But to then take a big step back in the year following and then not rebound in the year following that, yeah, I think that's a sign. And I think he did a good job. But I think if you're a Colorado booster, you want to see more at this point. Um I think if you're doing the hiring, you have to be realistic. Um, you might think it's the greatest job in the world, but there are some objective factors here that have to play into it. It doesn't have the recruiting base. You have to recruit nationally at Colorado. Yeah. And until you start winning at Colorado, it's like a catch-22. Until you start winning, it's hard to recruit nationally. So you have to be really good at evaluation. That's why I would think if you're going to hire somebody, it has to be somebody with an innovative scheme. So you can win with lesser talent initially, and then build into the program you want to be.
1: So it looks like they could finish. So I'm looking at the standings right now. They are two and six in conference, and UCLA's three and five. So if UCLA lost to Stanford, and Colorado beat Cal, which is both realistic possibilities, and. Colorado has a head to head, so I would assume UCLA would finish last in the division. Yeah. What is USC has four wins and they're done, right? Yeah, they're they're four and five. So they can't yeah. uh so it could you know so it's between Colorado and UCLA. The South is crazy. The four of the six teams are gonna finish with a below five hundred conference record. Um so it's it's a hot pile of garbage right now. But it's a beautiful pile of garbage. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a trash kingdom. But so Colorado, like, you know a couple things have to happen for them to not finish uh, last in the division again. Uh, but, you know, I thought it was a interesting press conference. They talked about, I mean, obviously this is a team that was five and zero nationally relevant. He wants the Rick George said they want to be nationally relevant again, uh, but they've lost their last six. He was asked specifically about the collapse against Oregon state. It didn't say, you know, one game is not going to make a difference, but that pretty much made a difference. I mean, that's not only does that make it a six game losing streak, but to, to lose to, a team that we just haven't seen be super com- I mean, competitive at spurts, but not to the point where they could shut you down in a whole half of football and score whatever it was, 35 points or whatever they did in the second half. You know, down, you had a 28-point lead in the third quarter against Oregon State. You can't lose that game. So to me, that's a fireable offense right there. Um, But I think Mike McIntyre did some great things at, at Colorado. He definitely elevated the program, and we'll see where, where the hire goes. But the timing... I think it's fine. Like the whole early signing period to me it impacts the coaching stuff mm-hmm. more than anything. Like yeah. that's insane. Like you you have a few weeks before most of your class is gonna sign. It's not like it used to be. So you can't wait till February. People would get fired in January and stuff like that. Like you can't do that anymore.
0: Yeah, and it um it's getting out ahead of what other jobs might open up because USC, as we've talked about, they wouldn't make a change until after the regular season is over anyway. Yeah. So you get a week head start on them. You're probably not going after the same tier of candidates, but the second tier guy who might be waiting to see if USC or another top job misses on their guys, if you can start working on them early, maybe it gives you a better chance to actually close that deal before the start of the early signing period. Um, Rick George, you should give uh, Jack Del Rio a call just quick, quickly. <laughs> USC fans are cheering for that possibility uh, for Colorado. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I didn't see his name on it. So if you're, um, a, uh, if you're really interested in this, follow Adam Monster tiger, go to, uh, yeah. go to, uh, Colorado's 24 seven sports site. Cause he already has his hot board up and the whole deal. I didn't see Dino Babers on there. I still think that would be a, a, yeah. that would be a, a guy to call. Cause I think, um, That's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of a guy with an innovative offensive scheme who can win with lesser talent, um, because that's what you need to start out with. And then you can build it into something better. But I agree with Rick George. I think it's an underrated job um, because they've had so many struggles the last decade. But this is a program that when they're at their peak, they can recruit Texas and they can recruit California. So that can give you a base if you can, you know, show them that there's going to be potential for big wins there.
1: Hey, before we uh, jump into our, our recap uh, of all the games, and we're going to talk about our uh, amazing picks against the spread, I want to tell you about Robinhood. It's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, and it's all commission free. So they strive to make financial services work for everybody, not just the wealthy. So you can download it to your phone. It's a pretty cool app. You got to check it out. Uh, it's a non-intimidating way if you want to be, uh, you know, play with the stock market a little bit. If you're a newcomer, you can invest for the first time, and you have a lot of confidence in the app. Uh, it's simple and intuitive. There's a clear design with data presented in an easy to digest way. Uh, so check it out. So check out the app. I've downloaded it. I've played with it a little bit. It's pretty cool. Um, I used to, like I told David before, I used to, to do it when I was an engineer, I used to do a lot of stock trading stuff for fun. Uh, but now I haven't done it in years. So it's kind of cool. I can do it right on my phone. There's no commission and no cost. So other brokerages, you might pay 10 bucks for a trade, Robinhood doesn't charge you any commission whatsoever. So it's free. You can trade your stocks and keep all of your profits. And like I said, it's really easy. Uh, there's charts and market di- uh, market-driven market data. Uh, so you can place a trade just four taps on your smartphone. And there's also a web platform. So you can look at uh, stock collections, like the 100 most popular stocks, sectors like entertainment or social media, if you want to like, hey, I want to invest in Twitter or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of different categories. And if you want to look, hey, I want companies with female CEOs. You can do all that too. So there's a lot of cool stuff you can do uh, with the app and on the web. So right now, Robinhood's going to give our listeners free a free stock, a free share stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint. It will help you build your portfolio. So sign up at champions.robinhood.com. That's champions.robinhood.com and check it out. Um, if Clay Helton were a stock, I mean, obviously (laughs) we'd all be buying right now, right?
0: You buy it at its lowest point and then it turns into something great. I'm not an investor. I always lose money. Right, yeah. (laughs) People
1: are like, oh, yeah, I bought a stock that went up. Well, if you don't sell it, you don't make any money. Um, I just like to watch it, you know, go up, go
0: down. It's like a (laughs) roller coaster. It's fun.
1: But if you sell, yeah, if you sell when it's low, that's usually bad. People like sell when it's low and it's panicked. But sometimes- you have to cut bait. And you just have to, like, you know what? I'm going to take my losses no, don't and move they, on. Don't they always say that? Throw good money after bad, and it turns into <laughs> good money? The interesting thing about coaches, though, is you can build. It's kind of like Clay Hilton paid a dividend like along the way. He brought you a Rose Bowl. He brought some stability to the program. He won you a Pac-12 championship. So you, you're, you're ahead. Actually, you got ahead, but... Sometimes that oh the stock is dipping, then we should probably just sell. We well, let's take our profits that we already have. We don't want to like lose any more money and move on. So I think it's right. a pretty good analogy. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> well, David, let's get into our Pac 12 roundup. Cause we got lots of games. So many games. Uh well, we have one less game. Yeah. Then uh so okay, so before we jump into everything, uh our picks were in Fuego. They were amazing. They were not. They were herocious. They were not that. Um, I was five and freaking oh against the spread, and you were four and one. But a I'll,
0: pretty resounding one.
1: Yeah, the one was one of the worst ones ever.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Washington State covered that one by about 31 points. <laughs> I
1: Yeah. I kind of just – well, we'll talk about that when we get to uh, – to that game but let's so yes yeah, so we have five games to talk about uh there was a unexpected buy but that gives us one more game to talk about next week yeah uh pack 12 championship time or i guess yeah two, two weeks from now right yeah are they
0: doing it Pac 12 championship weekend
1: yeah i think that's it was december well we're going to be recording it next week though yeah okay yeah so we'll be i don't know whatever yeah the preview the preview that one right. we'll do Um, Okay, so we got our new uh, rankings. The top is pretty solid. There's been some shakeup, I guess, in the middle, but we'll go through all these games and let you know what we thought about them. Uh, First up, we have our number 12 team. Oregon State Beavers. (laughs) And they were on the road uh, taking on our number two team. Washington Huskies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this one went... I think pretty much exactly the way we would have thought it would. There was no point where Washington was not in control of this game. Yeah. They finished 42-23, um, but Oregon State hung around a little, and Washington, they're just not a team that's going to you know step on your necks and just kill you, especially offensively. So they won by 19. They were like 33-and-a-half-point favorites, yeah. which was the craziest thing I think either of us have seen this year. Yeah. At this point in the year, for Vegas still to think that Washington – is going to ever beat a team by 33 points is is nuts. Um <laughs> you know, I was impressed actually with Oregon State the way they were able to move the ball against Washington's defense. Um their offense is fine. It's average yeah. to above average. Um I think that's something they could build on for next year. And their defense is very bad. Um and that's something they need to fix for next year. Washington was able to do what it wanted offensively. They just didn't want to do too much in the second half, but Comfortable win. Don't know how much more else there is to say. Um, but Oregon
1: State, you've got some things to hope for next year, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh this was this was one of the forty-eight games on the Pac-Twelve network this weekend. <laughs> um there was a lot on the Pac well, there was a gap in the middle because Cal Stanford was supposed to be big game. I or I like Dave likes to say the, the big game. Big I I still, you know, props. I, I'm trying to like, you know, our listeners, the, the the three or four Stanford listeners and all the Cal people They like to say big game. So I'm saying- We're in Southern California.
0: We use articles. (laughs) Okay.
1: The big game. They do. We do use articles for our our freeways too, and Northern California does not. Um, Actually,
0: it's the entire
1: country that does not. Yeah, just us We are the
0: only people who use articles. I get so many (laughs) weird looks in Georgia when I'm like, the
1: 75, the 85. Um, So, But this did not go exactly the way- because I'm a degenerate, and we have no money on this, but I still, like, my picks are very, very important to me. And they've been kind of mediocre for the last month or so, but this was great. But watching this, Washington scored two minutes in, just like they ran the ball like four times and scored a touchdown. And then they scored again. And it was 28-3 to in the first quarter. And Oregon State moved the ball okay for a little bit, but it's was like Washington looked unstoppable. Oregon State gave up 252 yards in the first quarter. That was the most points that uh, Washington had scored, I think, you know, all year, probably like in decades in the first quarter. <laughs> and so at that point, it's a 33-and-a-half point spread, and you're like, crap. But it was sort of like when you double down yeah. on 11 in Vegas and you get like a three, you're like, well— I mean, but the dealer showing a six, you're like, yeah, okay. So Oregon State didn't come out feisty and win that way, but I can still win by the dealer busting. Well, I can still win by Chris Peterson yeah. just like taking his foot off the gas. So we knew this line. There was two ways we could get it, and we didn't really get it the first way. We got it the second way. Uh, but yeah, so that they just really kind of took their uh, their foot off the gas. The Beavers did score though. Like so, once the the once it got to the second half, it seemed like Oregon State got a little more feisty. They scored and did an onside kick after yeah. they scored and then got a field goal out of it. So like, oh, there's extra points for our spread. This is good. Um, we saw Trey Adams come back for uh, Washington. I think he came back in the second quarter. Uh, but the Beavers, they're they're they were trying. They're keeping it close, uh, but then they muffed the punt inside their own 10. Like they if they could have eliminated some of the mistakes and not got blitzkrieged in the first mm-hmm. quarter, they would have actually been a little bit even more competitive than it was, but they kept it somewhat close. Um I think Washington Washington scored like to sort of like kind of put their stamp on things. And then they forced a fourth and 43 from Oregon state. So that was, that wasn't like the ideal moment. So there were still moments like that for Oregon state, but there was also the feisty moments that we like to see. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And they, I, there was a fake punt. Like I think Washington missed a field goal. Oregon state then tried, got a fake punt. Uh, and that worked. They just wouldn't go away. So I liked it. Um, I was a little worried in the first quarter, but it sort of played out the way we felt it would go.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, been one of the MOs for Oregon State this year is getting down big early. Yeah. Um, And they've actually made some comebacks from that. Colorado was famously, they were way down in that game and then made a comeback, but they've been spotting teams first quarter leads because it takes the (laughs) offense a little while to get going and the defense never gets going. Um, (laughs) Eliminating that, getting off to quicker starts whether it's from a scripting the play standpoint or whatever it is that's probably a minute thing to fix for next year offensively making sure that you are set and ready to go from the start of the game um but yeah after they spotted washington a 28-3 lead it was an even game i mean more or less yeah
1: that's true that was uh they it was feisty and if if they eliminate some of those mistakes like i said just some really weird stuff that was happening i think that one drive there was just like sack sack yeah i mean it was like tackle for i mean it was crazy there was like and i think penalty it's like fourth and 43 like where did that come from all right uh so good win for washington sets up an apple cup uh, we'll talk about that a little bit this is uh next up we have the territorial cup number 11 colorado buffalo and uh they were hosting in uh some inclement weather Utah Utes. They're our number three team in the latest poll. Yeah, this
0: was wild. The The snow game <laughs> just, it was blanketed snow. It was great. Um, yeah, I mean, this 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 resulted in a firing and probably justifiably. Uh, Utah won 30 to 7. Um, Steven Montez got hurt in this one. So, you know, there's some of that, but it was pretty late in the game. I think at that point, I think it was second half. Where he got dinged up. Yeah, I um, think it
1: came back too, but it yeah. was... Yeah.
0: So um, Utah, though, I mean, Jason Shelley was once again pretty competent. Not super accurate, but pretty competent throwing the ball. Um, they didn't have quite the individual success from Armand Shine that they had in the previous game, but still collectively ran the ball pretty well. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, it was a Utah game. They won by 23. I think we both more or less were expecting something like this. I think I predicted... In my picks column, thirty four seventeen Utah, just because Colorado's not going the right way, Utah is, um, and uh, defensively they were just so stout, you know, stopping that Colorado rushing attack. Trayvon McMillan's been good this year, and they pretty much shut him down, and uh, just nothing doing in the in the Colorado passing game, even with LaVisca Chenault back. So, really nice win for Utah. They clinch the Pac twelve South based on a game we see uh, later on in yeah. the uh, in the rankings. So. Uh, obviously, huge for Utah.
1: It was big. And uh, we got this one right. I don't remember if this was my lock of the week or whatever, but this just seemed like, yeah, this is not, uh, even though it was, but I was a little worried at first. First of all, 10 30 a.m. start. Mm. Uh, oof. Then it was the 500th game at Folsom Field. Ralphie couldn't run. And then, you know, like the line should have moved because yeah. it was too snowy. Like, you know, that's like a seven point move, I think. And what they said on the broadcast, this is only the eighth game since 1949 with snow. Like, is that crazy? Like, wouldn't you think in Colorado, like there would be way more games than that? You would think so. Uh, but so that was kind of weird. They had to ask the ref. So twice, Pac-12 refs had to ask uh, fans not to throw things. In this game, it was please don't throw snowballs, <laughs> and there was I think paper airplanes or something in one of the other games. Uh, but I thought that was kind of interesting. The good thing for Colorado is they got all those receivers back. So McIntyre, uh, uh, Mix was it uh, Dixon? Is it I think it's Nixon? Nixon, Nixon. sorry, and. Uh, and, and Chenault, you know, he practiced all week, so that was good. So he he played the previous week, but he hadn't practiced or anything. Um, and then uh, early on, there was, I think, the first four drives were three and outs. It looked like nobody could do anything in the snow. They just couldn't get a first down. Then it started to, I think people kind of got their footing, uh, literally, and then it started working out. Um, they hadn't given up Colorado in this crazy five-game losing streak, and now six-game they hadn't given up a first first quarter touchdown in any of those games, uh, so they start out okay, and they didn't give up in this one too. So, and I thought Colorado at first they were stunting a lot. They used the, their kind of quickness against that big Utah offensive line, and we're we're shutting down the run game and shutting down the the Utah offense early. And it got kind of chippy at times, especially on special teams. I don't know. There just seemed to be some pushing and shoving and stuff. But uh, and then Chase Hansen gets ejected for a horrific targeting call and and it looked like Colorado had a lot of momentum. You know, you get yeah. that. Um I think they were up seven nothing. And then it just kind of the wheels uh fell off. But Chenault I thought was he was a big difference maker in the first half. It was really hard to get first downs and you could just throw it up to him and he would make the play. Like there wasn't it wasn't like you could throw it to Covey on third down for Utah and he would just automatically make a play. But for Chenault he just separated himself at least early on um, and then uh, there was, you know, I think there was an interception by Utah. Then a deep bomb, Shelley to Dixon for 62 yards, set up a touchdown. And I think it just started the the, the steamroll down that Utah just went on that run. What was it, 30 uh, straight points? So uh, I thought Utah played really solid in the second half. Uh, the Colorado offense just sputtered uh, after Montez got hurt, and Utah's defense only gave up 196 total yards. So uh it's their best ever mark in Pac-12 play. So the best previous was 205 yards to USC earlier in the year. You know when tackles for loss it's a great stat. I love it. Yes. Um
0: it, when you get like 8 or 9 of them, that's pretty good. Yeah. You know that's great. <laughs> um when you get like 12, it's like wow, that's phenomenal. Utah had 16 tackles <laughs> for loss in this game. Oh my god, I didn't know that. 16. <laughs> And, and and only six sacks, so that's a lot of like run game, just tackling you in the backfield.
1: Yeah, that's not great. No, that's not great at You're all. You're not
0: going to do much offensively when Utah's doing that to do you.
1: Uh, it it was weird. Like if you watched it, it was fun to watch. Like people wanted to show highlights because of the snow, but it just seemed like offenses were having problems. But if like a a run play would work, like a lot of run plays just didn't work. You'd get tackled in the backfield. But when it worked, it like worked really well. Um, but it was it was a really entertaining game to watch, um, even though it was ten thirty in the morning and uh, <laughs> on the Pac-12 Network. But snow and the snow kept coming. It wasn't like there was no. some snow on the ground. It, it was kept, a blizzard. Yeah, <laughs> 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 which which you know you love to see. All right, uh, this one the crosstown rivalry. We have our number ten team, USC Trojan, and all the way up to number nine hosting. UCLA Bruins. You
0: know, I think first we got to say, all right. So UCLA won thirty four twenty seven for Clay Helton to play this game this close. I think we've got to give him a lot of credit, (laughs) right? I mean, he's at an obvious disadvantage because he's a bad coach, and to still keep it within seven, I think that's impressive. Um, impressive.
1: We got this one right too, by the way. It was uh, we were we took the points all, all day long, and obviously UCLA won, so we win. Is the funniest part about this for USC fans, and I
0: realize some of it might not be funny for some of you. If you've got a similar mindset to me as a person, you're probably thinking it was pretty funny. But <laughs> is it funnier? Does it make it funnier for you that like the best plays for USC in this game came on special teams? Bizarro, bizarro
1: that that was <laughs> like to get a fake first of all, USC. So it was like the second quarter or something, and USC tries the, the hurry up on third and, or no, yeah, was it third and one? Yeah, and yeah, they get third stuffed and on the sneak. Yeah, so like JT Daniels is in the shotgun that runs up to the line of scrimmage, takes a quick snap, and just gets... gets Blown up throw. for a loss, I want to say, on yeah. a sneak. And so for that to happen, which is a horrible play, and for them to have the, the fake punt ready and run with it and work and, and then throw a bomb, it was like, that's peak USC where a lot of good happens. I was saying it's like, it's sort of like a slot machine. Like you just keep pulling the lever and nothing happens. Nothing happens. <laughs> and then uh, like USC gets like this five minute spurt of like, Holy crap, these guys are good, you know? And then, then it goes away. Then you're back to yeah. losing again. Yeah, exactly. And
0: then the, uh, blocked punt, obviously.
1: Yeah. Blocked punt by a, a walk on wide receiver <laughs> for like coming up the middle too. for a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. Like UCLA, maybe
0: have the safe punt ready to go there. <laughs> like don't. Yeah. You've got two guys on your blocking shield. That's not great. (laughs) Um, What stood out to me about this one, probably the main thing that stood out to me when I was watching it again yesterday, was um, UCLA's offense was consistently getting guys just open, where either in the run game, where Joshua Kelly would have six yards relatively unencumbered before he would even get hit by anybody, where the motions, the shifts, whatever UCLA was doing was just getting... USC's defense out of whack and USC's defense is much more talented than UCLA's offense, but the offensive scheme was consistently getting guys in space. Yeah. Whereas for USC with much more talented skill players, much more talented wide receivers, their scheme was still just covered receiver, covered receiver (laughs) and Michael Pittman making great plays, but covered receiver after covered receiver. And that's the thing that stood out to me. That's probably if you're a USC fan, why you want, I mean, among many other things, why you want to change? Because whatever USC is doing offensively, it makes no sense that guys that talented are not just wide open ten times a game.
1: Yeah, and uh, you and we heard from Clay Hilton last night. He said UCLA used a lot of thirteen personnel, which means three tight ends, a lot, one running back, and he said, you know, and in typical. USC coach in fashion, we haven't seen that before. So if they haven't seen it before, it's pretty much, it's like, oh, it's impossible to stop. Like, uh, And Clay Helton wanted to get a bigger lead, so then it would kind of knock UCLA out of that, and they never did, and it kept working. Joshua Kelly, was it 289 yards? 289 what was yards on 40 carries. 40 carries, the most ever in this rivalry, and the second most ever a USC defense had ever given up. That's the problem with the Clay Hilton uh, – There's so many for the first time since ever or the first time since the 50s. He's setting records, baby. He's setting a lot of records in the wrong way. But so Joshua Kelly... So the most yards ever that USC had given up is by um, Kenyon Barner in 2012 to a Chip Kelly-coached UCLA team. I think it was 321 yards. This was 289. And that was with, like, no tight ends on the field. Yeah, this was, but this was like, we're going to run the ball at you. Please try to stop us. And uh, most of the tackles were being made by the USC secondary, yeah. and that's a that's a problem.
0: Yeah, and I got to figure, uh, Clancy Pendergast – Pendergast would even if Helton wasn't on the hot seat would feel some heat after this one because they just didn't look prepared. Like the no. linebackers did not look like they would over shift to whatever motion UCLA was doing. And then there was a lot of stuff where UCLA was like running a counter or something opposite the way of the blocking, and they would have a numbers advantage with just like two offensive linemen to that side because the linebackers would over shift, and that happened consistently throughout the game where UCLA would again just have like six or seven yards to the outside without getting hit or anybody in the vicinity. And Joshua Kelly's too good to allow that. Like he is too shifty, has too good anticipation, is really, really good in terms of vision, knowing where guys are coming from, getting that extra three or four yards. Um, So I thought it was a really bad defensive showing for a team as talented as USC. Um, Having the options that they have, they have linebacker and you were telling me, and then they ended up with
1: playing a bunch of uh, Reuben Peters. They played Ruben Peters, who's a former walk-on fullback. Because uh, yeah. somehow you can't figure out how to get five-star Palier Naoteote who out on the field. Who looked phenomenal to start this year. <laughs> like, who looked great. You've yeah. got to get him on the field. Yeah, well, they, I mean, so he's playing the will. And they, they actually kicked off Levi Jones uh, off the team the past week. So he would come in for John Houston at that spot. Um, but... Cameron Smith has played there before. They, I think they just move him over. You got to yeah. get those two guys. Two linebackers put the two best guys on the field yeah. and they didn't do that. And that cost it. But for me on the offensive side for USC, UCLA's run defense is one of the worst in the country or yeah. the, it's like, it's, it's not
0: good. And it's trending badly because UCLA has a lot of injuries at linebacker and they're not making the negative plays. I mean, they only had three tackles for loss in this entire game.
1: Yeah. So that's nuts. And, USA couldn't run the football against one of the worst, and that happened last year too. Uh, You know, but and so I know people give uh, JT Daniels a lot of crap. He still threw for three hundred. I mean, he's basically the offense. So you're, I get it. He had some arm punts that were terrible. One he said he was trying to throw away and it slipped out. He had at least one
0: that should have been picked as well that wasn't right. The earliest arm punt where I, where
1: I tweeted at you (laughs) that was pretty arm punty. It was, and he's had a couple of those, but. I mean, literally, he's all they got. Like, he's, they, he has to throw, he has to throw them to win the game because they're not running the football against yeah. bad defenses. So you feel bad, you wonder in a different scheme. And it's not like guys are wide open. When he's completing passes, it's like, like that touchdown pass was like a, a beautiful, I mean, it was perfect over the oh, shoulder. Yeah. For them to be successful, it's like you have to, he has to be otherworldly. worldly. When he's clean, uh, his
0: ball placement is like, that's, that's not freshman level. Like he gets it where it needs to go. The problem is when he's ever feeling any kind of rush, both picks came when he had either. And they weren't like he was going to get hit. It was a guy is like near his feet and he gets a little bit unsettled or a guy is bearing down on him, but still about five yards away and he's a little unsettled. He needs to work on that. And maybe that's an athleticism thing where he just needs to work on, not running away from guys but just working how to move his feet a little bit to avoid big hits so he knows that he's not going to get crushed um but whatever that is, it is i said before the game if USC ends up throwing the ball more than 30 times that's a big win for UCLA yeah. and they threw the ball 34 times i i would like i don't even think they ran the ball that poorly the issue i mean if you look at the stats JT Daniels had four carries for negative nine yards. Those were all like sacks or very close to sacks. If you take those away, it was 23 carries for 121 yards. Run the ball more. Yeah. Like
1: just run the ball. And well, I think that's coaching too, because Chip Kelly, they did, they did they play, played a lot of cover, zero. They stacked the box. Yeah. And and USC's like, well, we can't run the ball against that. So it's like, well, no, you should still run the ball. Have some arrogance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: just do it. Don't do what's designed by the box count. I mean, you're USC, you have the talent to just kind of do what you want to do, kind of no matter what the defense is doing. A lot of the time, yeah, try it until they
1: really do stop it. Um, so, so is a, I think it's a great, great win, obviously, for UCLA. You're building a program, they're more losses than what you would expect this year, but you see. You know, only fifty-seven players on scholarship. Twenty freshmen playing. I think one one senior starter on offense. So there's 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 a light at the end of the tunnel for sure. You like the way the direction's going. And for for UCLA fans, I mean, the worst season in the world is is made a lot better if you beat USC. So obviously that happened for for Clay Helton and USC. Obviously the future is uncertain. They need to beat a number three ranked Notre Dame team just to be eligible. Think about. I think they're going to rally. They're going (laughs) to rally for Clay, and it's a a highly. We'll talk about this. It's a highly motivated Notre Dame team. It's not like this is to to try to make the college football playoff. Yeah,
0: it's not. It's not eight and three Notre Dame. Yeah, it is eleven and
1: zero. When we get to that game, I want the. I I I was on the line as soon as it came out. I want that number uh, because I don't know what it's ballooned to since. But uh, all right, so we'll move on to the next one. Uh, This one. The only one Dave and I picked differently. We have number uh, eight Arizona Wildcats. Wow. Uh, they were on the road taking on number one Washington State Cougars. And oh boy, did we pick this one differently? Um,
0: <laughs> I picked Arizona to cover, and they came so close.
1: Did you spell Washington State wrong in your picks? Or
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> Washington State won sixty-nine to twenty-eight. Oh. And Washington state had scored 55 of those points at halftime. It was amazing. This was such a laugher. Like I don't, what did the final penalty totals come to for Arizona? They had seven for 75. I feel like all of those were in the first half.
1: Yeah. There was like, it just, it was a blitzkrieg. Hey, it was a clean game after the first half. Yes. Um, it was a blitzkrieg by Washington state. Oh my God. Um,
0: Honestly, Washington State took their feet off the gas because they could've I mean they could have hung a hundred in this game. People
1: were saying like this could be a hundred points, like it was I I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I mean Arizona, I think, had three or four face masks in the first quarter. Like it was in the first quarter, it was insane. Like what are you <laughs> they what looked, are you doing? They looked super
0: unprepared. Um, I think a big issue with Washington State is you don't wanna blitz them. Like you don't wanna send a bunch of pressure at Gardner Minshew, but you have to make him at least a little bit uncomfortable and Arizona was doing none of that and just allowing him to just carve him up, up and down the field. Um, I mean 43 for 55, (laughs) you can't allow that. Like that's, that is, what are we talking there? 80%, a little over 80%. You can't allow that. No, you got to keep them to about 70% passing and you know, 55 attempts for 473 yards is an insane day for an air raid quarterback. <laughs> like that that it should be 55 attempts for like 380 if you're trying to keep them to like something under their, you know, max level, which is what this was. Um seven touchdowns. Seven passing touchdowns. That seems like a lot. It's a lot. That's uh
1: we got to talk about the kickoff. Can we talk about the kickoff? Are we ready to talk about the Uh kickoff? hold on one second. Okay, so Khalil Tate had some moments. He had a, a run in the second quarter. Yeah. That was really impressive. And then he followed up with a bomb TD that looked like Khalil Tate 2017 Khalil Tate. Yeah. We haven't seen a lot of that, but that was good. Um, they it would, but the problem is it would be like Washington state would score three touchdowns and Arizona would score one. And it was just sort of like trading off like that. Um, but they just kept giving up no matter what they did. They would just keep giving up TDs to Minshew. They muffed the kickoff for a Washington state touchdown explain that like what, so this was, I think second quarter also, right? Like, yeah. So they had just scored, I think it was to go ahead 34,
0: 14. Um, they just scored and then they kick off and it's a short kickoff. It goes to about, I think like the 15 or the 10. Um, and the returner just makes no play on the ball. (laughs) I think he must've thought it was like a punt or something. But it like you can see real time in his head, oh, crap, (laughs) this is a live ball. And so he then runs after it. It kind of skipped past him. But Washington State is bearing down on it. I think he makes contact first. Then a Washington State player jumps on it. Then it gets pushed ahead into the end zone, and then they fall on it. It was the most bizarre kickoff I've ever seen because – You've got to jump on that ball or signal
1: fair catch. You or can something. fair catch it anywhere and get it up to the 25. Do no. anything but what you did. <laughs> Do anything at all besides let that ball skip past you. Yeah. And so at that point, it became 41-14 halfway through the second quarter. And then he muffed the next kickoff, too. Like, he fumbled yeah. it. They got back on it. Um, he Minshew had completed passes to 11 different receivers in the first half. I don't know what he finished with, uh, but it was kind of crazy. So Arizona, right before halftime, they're trying to score. Uh, Then they're they're down there. They fumble into the end zone. So they're trying to get – so it would have been uh, 41-21 or something like that. So, you know, striking distance, I guess you could say. They fumble into the end zone. Washington State only has seconds left, and they're at their own 20. Two passes that go for the length of the field and another touchdown to go up 54-14 at the half. Like, normally, any human being would just be like, okay, we're up by whatever, 30. Let's just take a knee. No. And it's not like they had a minute left. They had, I forget how many seconds. 21 seconds. 21 (laughs) seconds. They go the length of the field and score a touchdown before the half to go. It was a 55-14, I guess, before. I mean, that was insane. Well, and, and Mike Leach was like, we're playing pretty well. Yeah. He's like, we're halfway <laughs> there. Like his, his, his halftime speech or what, the halftime interview was like, you know, what do you do? He's like, well, we're only halfway there. We, You know, and it was like, what? So everyone's saying, okay, so you want to score 110? Like what is going on? Oh, man. But I thought the defense was good. I mean, they were swarming around. That's uh, Washington State's defense has been doing that. We saw it with Alex Grinch last yeah. year, Tracy Clays this year. I did – uh Right before we, we're actually recording uh, Monday morning, we normally do the afternoon. Yeah. But I had to do uh, Pac twelve like serious radio this morning with uh, Guy Haberman and uh, Ryan Leaf, and that's and they talked about that a little bit. And I'm like, you know, but yeah, Gardner Mitchell is amazing. But I love the way you have to have a defense that plays to your strengths on offense, and I think Washington State's doing that. Where you know they might give up some plays, but they're swarming around. They're forcing negative uh, plays. Yeah, negative plays, and it's just been really. It's it's been a great compliment. So for Mike Leach to bring in Tracy Clay's, it's worked really well. I think they've tried to keep continuity with the style on that side, and it's hard. Like if you want to, you know, if if Jim Mora, when he was running his defense, if he wanted to try to have some air raid sort of offense, I don't know if that complements each other real well. But you need some sort of a different kind of defense, a smaller, quicker defense, and and Washington State has that, and that's that's a big part of what their I think their success has been this year. Absolutely. All right. uh, Next up. So our number seven team is
0: California golden bears.
1: And, uh, yeah, that didn't, uh, that didn't happen because the air quality was so bad. I guess it was over 200, like uh, the, the quality meter. is over 200 is like, yeah, ridiculously bad. I think it's not supposed to be over like 80 or something. And no. And I think you can play into the hundreds, but if it's okay.
0: anything over like one eighty, I think is where it's like, yeah, you're not playing a football game.
1: Um, yeah, so that's that's bad. It, so in Southern California the week before USC played Cal, it was I think it was like in the 90s, 80s or 90s with the Southern California wildfires. And yeah. same thing for the the Rams game, but they were able to play those games. But yeah. this one postponed until December 1st, right? I yeah, think. same day as the Pac-12 Championship,
0: right? Okay, yeah. Or I've, same weekend at least. Same yeah,
1: it might be if maybe it's Saturday, but it'll also be I think they're showing on Pac-12 Network again. Right. Uh, afternoon thing okay so that's our number seven team uh, our number six team Arizona State Sun Devils <laughs> uh, they're on the road uh, taking on our number five team and probably the best game of the weekend Oregon Ducks
0: I mean USC UCLA was the most competitive not necessarily <laughs> the most well-played game um,
1: it was that was a fun it was actually a fun game because there was yeah, some, all kinds of weird stuff just that dope. happened
0: um, all right so
1: ASU covered, which is the most important thing for us. Yeah. So what was the line? The two line two and a
0: half or three?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was uh Oregon minus three and a half is what we right. ended up uh picking. And we both got this one right. Yeah, ASU did
0: just enough late for us. Um so Oregon won 3129. Um, you know, they had this game pretty well controlled, actually. ASU made a little bit of a comeback at the end, um, largely due to a lot of turnover shenanigans. I mean, (laughs) Oregon ended up with four turnovers kind of, I mean, turnovers are generally kind of luck based and they were turning it over and like not recovering any of their own fumbles and kind of unlucky interceptions. Um, So ASU almost did it in a game where they probably had no business being in it. Yeah. Um, Oregon was doing what it wanted to offensively Um, best running game, I think for them in, Weeks and weeks and weeks. For sure. Um, Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell were both really good. Um, and Justin Herbert was sharp. I thought Manny Wilkins kind of went back to mid-season. Manny Wilkins wasn't his best game, wasn't yeah. his sharpest game. Um, and, you know, they had a big spot last week where I think he played really well. And I think he kind of didn't have his best game. Uh, Eno Benjamin was still really good. Um I thought they could have maybe leaned on the run game a little bit more than they did. Um give maybe Isaiah Floyd more opportunities. Just that was maybe the the one flaw I would say in their offensive game plan, but they almost made the comeback, almost got back into it and almost won the game. Um you know, to finish second likely in the Pac-12 South in Herms first year. We'll see how the Arizona game goes. Yeah. To finish second in Herms first year I think is a pretty good result.
1: Yeah, this is uh I mean this was weird. Like the end of the game, I, I want to talk, well, I'll talk about the beginning first. Um, the Ducks were in control. Like the first half, it's like they could do no wrong. This looked like the Oregon we knew. They were getting athletes into space and they made huge plays. So um, we haven't really seen a ton of that. The offense hasn't been, it looked oregon you know, like it looked like they were really doing the right thing. The Ducks were in control uh, late in the first half, uh, 21-6. And the ducks are driving, so this is like you feel like this is going to be the nail in the coffin. Herbert throws a pick, uh, you know, a couple minutes before halftime, and ASU turns around and they hadn't been looking great on offense. They didn't really get the run game going at all. It was kind of surprising, you know, like that. Uh, you know, Benjamin, the the conference's leading rusher. They just Oregon did a really good job of of limiting what he was able to do. But ASU puts this great drive together, and they go up and they they score a touchdown, twenty one thirteen. This huge swing on a Herbert turnover right before half, and ASU's back within one score. But with only like a minute or so left, the Ducks said, oh, screw this. They they bounce back, and they put a great drive together in the final minute, and they score a touchdown. So instead of, it looks like it's 21-6. It could have been 28-6. ASU scores, it's 21-13, but then Oregon scores right back. So all this flurry of, of offense right before the half. So it's 28-13, and you feel like, it could have been all ASU's momentum and it was Oregon's momentum, but um, it didn't seem to matter. Like, you know, obviously Oregon only scored three points in the second half. Uh, They weren't able to do it. There just didn't seem to be the offensive flow. And I'm sure some adjustments were made by Arizona State, but they didn't have the offensive flow for Oregon in the second half. Um, I don't know. It was kind of weird. And then the very end uh, when Arizona State scores and they're going for two and it looks like it's completed in the back of the end zone and you see the, the still photos of the guy's foot down. I forget who the receiver was. Um, and it looks like it's in and they called it incomplete and they didn't even review it. And apparently the, you know, the Pac-12 reference said, no, we were pretty clear on the call. Uh, but this was, and that would have tied the game, you know, and, uh, ASU had a chance, but they, they couldn't uh, finish it off. There were a couple of funky spots in this
0: game too, where it just felt like, uh, Maybe a, a you know low key home cooking,
1: maybe a little bit, maybe a bit, yeah, just a little bit low key. And there was one really critical mistake at the end. When Oregon's trying to run out the clock, it's third and two, and ASU jumps off sides. and that's their last that's their last chance. So then it's victory formation after that. Yeah. Um, but man, it was a Herm. You know, I think Herm said after the game, it's like we've been close in a lot of these, and just not being able to get over the hump. This was a winnable one, which didn't look winnable at first. Uh, for us, it didn't look like we were going to cover. And then ASU had the, you know, the comeback and stuff. But I was a little concerned with Oregon. I mean, it's like, what were they doing in the second half? It just seemed like it wasn't whatever was working. The first half wasn't working for them in the second half. Yeah. And I don't
0: know if they had made an adjustment um, that then ASU was able to adjust to in the second half. It's hard to know. Um Without, you know, diving into the game film. And I'm sure our boy Hethliday will do so. Oh, um, yeah. He'll tell us all about it. This was the first game that ASU lost
1: by not seven points. Oh, Just interesting. Worth worth noting. That is worth noting. Okay. Um, all right. So our number four team. Stanford Cardinal. Like I said, we uh, already talked about that. They are not going to be. Uh, they're going to postpone that game. Then we had uh, number three, we already talked about. Do I play the music again? I don't remember if we do. Utah Utes. Drop, whatever. Uh, Number two, just if you didn't know. Washington Huskies. We talked about in number one. Washington State Cougars. WC has been up there number one for quite a while, right? Setting up a big matchup. Yeah. Some apple cup, apple cuppy action. Um, so that's, uh, so those are the five games. Our picks are, we're, we're in fuego. So hopefully you made lots and lots of money unlike some other weeks, but overall, we're still, we're still really good. I mean, we're way above 500 in our picks. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed with what we've been able to do with a little bit of lull. Uh, but this was a, a, a breakout week and we got seven games this week. That's a lot of games. So there's, yeah. So there's some time for you to catch up. I got a two game lead on you again. Um, so you got some time to catch up. Uh, we we actually had the the Cal Stanford pick different too. I had I had Cal plus two, and you had Stanford uh, minus two. Yeah, I don't, who knows? I think I think I would have gotten it. <laughs> of course, well, you yeah. picked it, so you think that. So I you think, thought you were going to get the Arizona should, game? I through. think we
0: should say five and one and five and
1: one. <laughs> Just assume that. You yeah, I mean, I, it right? Look, I was probably right. <laughs> You were so close to being right in the Arizona game. See, the Arizona loss, you should get like a few (laughs) few extra losses for that. Or a couple ties or something. You need to like (laughs) – it can't just be one because it was so, 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 so so wrong. Um, Did you feel like – I guess you didn't because you didn't pick it, but – that washington state was gonna have motivation because they they have to put on a show now arizona looked good before they went on the bye week i don't know what happened
0: that's true oh uh, they were coming off a of bye week right i don't yeah. know if they contracted a collective disease over that bye
1: week i have I, no idea i think wilner put a piece up there something that was like did they even practice over the bye week because it didn't look what did they look like oh they were they were ferocious. <laughs> thank you nice uh, i haven't been using them drop that much but no, uh, we we kind of we kind of we went a little hard on it last week. But yeah, so maybe the overuse. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to. It's like I like pumpkin pie, but I can't I can't eat it like all the time. <laughs> are you you're in town for Thanksgiving, right? Yep. Do you have a favorite like Thanksgiving thing? Do you do or um, like food wise, or what are we? Yeah, talking yeah, about? or whatever. Huh? I mean,
0: like a a good pumpkin pie is. Yeah, I mean that's legit. Mir- like a Miracle Whip, uh, not Miracle Cool Whip on top. Oh yeah, yeah. Come on, what am I a communist? I, I mean. <laughs>
1: i mean kind (laughs) of kind of sort (laughs) of uh yeah i'm a i'm a big like the basics so i first of all i love deep frying the turkey which i'm gonna do who doesn't uh yeah i'm gonna spend we usually host i'm going to uh my buddy dan wikey's you know from the la times he used to write for me we're going to they bought him and his wife bought a place in long beach we're gonna go down with that but i'm deep frying the turkey so i get to continue to do that which is good but i love stuffing Mm -hmm. I love mashed potatoes and gravy Mm -hmm. and I put some corn mixing in there. And that's just like, those are, those are for me, the staples like, and I'll, you know, green bean casserole. I like this kind of stuff too, but I need the stuffing. I need the mashed potatoes and I need the Turkey. So I've gotten more like that since we moved to the South. Um, My family though, in
0: Southern California got very, we're not big Turkey people. Like just, it's not great. We don't love Turkey. So what my mom did after years and years of us just being like, eh, not eating her Turkey or whatever, we started doing Mexican Thanksgiving and just having enchiladas, uh like really good tamales, all this kind of stuff, and would eat um just a boatload of Mexican food, and that was great. Oh, okay.
1: So we celebrated Thanksgiving with a Mexican feast. It was nice. fantastic. My buddy at home, uh well, Massachusetts, where I grew up, like Italian, he would do lasagna on Thanksgiving. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Come on. For me, that, that's, like, my favorite meal of the year, though. Like, I love right. turkey. I, I just love all that stuff. Well, doing it now with, like, southern relatives of Katie's, like, that, that's where they do all the, like, the really traditional stuff. That's yeah. great. They are, are you a big, um, the sweet potatoes with, like, marshmallow oh, yeah. fluff on mm-hmm. stuff and stuff? Yeah. I'm not huge. I'm not a big, like, cranberry guy. Like, um, oh, I don't okay. love cran- cranberry.
0: Um, yeah. But, like, all of the sides. Like, basically, there isn't, a so- like, a casserole
1: of yeah. any kind. I'm yeah. like, yeah, just give that to me. My wife's family will do, like, mac and cheese, a lot of those things and yeah. stuff. Which, I mean, I love. I'll, I'll eat that all Like, day with too. the crust on the top. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good yeah, stuff. Yeah. Okay. I'm really excited. So, I hope everyone has a great... uh thanksgiving and i love just sitting around watching nfl football and stuff and And then uh, the friday when you're like
0: basically just you know rolling yourself out to the couch you can watch a bunch of pac 12 football
1: there is so let's we're going to jump into that now previewing week 13 we have two uh friday games this one do they call it the apple cup dave it's oregon ducks (laughs) just kidding people going on the road to take on oregon state beavers (laughs) All
0: right, this game is on at 1 p.m. Oh, for once, I can look at this and not have to subtract three hours <laughs> when I say the time of the game. Yeah.
1: This is the Civil War,
0: by the way. People. The Civil War. um, On Fox Sports 1 in Corvallis, Oregon taking on Oregon State. Oregon is 14-point fi- road favorites. It Ooh. opened as minus 14 and a half and has moved a half point in favor of the Beavers. Um. I'm going to have to take Oregon here. Um I think the Ducks even with their offensive issues are going to be able to move the ball on Oregon State because basically everybody has been able to move the ball on Oregon State. Um and I think Oregon State's going to be able to score too. Um but Oregon State shockingly has not been good at home this year. Yeah. It seems like every time we're seeing them with a double digit spread at home, we're taking them and then they end up just getting their butts whipped. Um Oregon showed signs of life more this past weekend against Arizona State even with that second half. So, I'll take the Ducks to cover this. I think they win by 17 to 3 touchdowns.
1: Yeah, I can't I mean, I feel uneasy when I get Oregon State with like 30 points. Like I could I would not sleep yeah. tonight if I picked Oregon State with only 14 points. They haven't been that great at home. Um I think the problem is Oregon found of some formula for success against a better Arizona state defense. We're getting those athletes in space. I think there's going to be a whole lot of space mm-hmm. for those guys. You know, we, USC hadn't been able to run the ball the last few weeks when they played Oregon state, they just ran the ball all yeah. over the place. I, I feel like Oregon's going to be able to do that and not have a second half lull. Um, so yeah, give me Oregon. I, I do feel like it's a, they're going to win by three or, or more scores in this one. So um, I'll take the Ducks too. I don't, that seems like a weird line, doesn't it? It does or, seem odd, and the fact that it's moving towards
0: Oregon State. I mean, Oregon State has been competitive in this game when they have no reason to be before. True. Yeah, um, I think it was three years ago where they won this game, and they were not anywhere close to as good as Oregon that year. So, is that the
1: Helfrich firing? Like,
0: I want to say. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I'll watch it, but. I'm not super confident in Oregon State's ability to stop Oregon at this point.
1: All right. Uh, next up, uh, we'd like to call this one the Territorial Cup.
0: Washington Huskies.
1: <laughs> on the road, taking on Washington State Cougars.
0: <laughs> no, no. This one is the Civil War. Oh, this is Okay, right bad. Okay.
1: Um, really pissed everybody off. So buddy the Apple are. Cup, people. It's important. Trust it. Like, why? Just take the joke. It's okay. It's okay. It'll be okay. Everything will
0: be okay. All right. This is on at 530 on Big Fox. Number 18, Washington. Traveling to number eight, Washington State. When was the last time Washington State was ranked ahead of Washington in this game? I don't know. Uh, Washington State is favored by three points when was the last time washington state was favored in this game
1: this has been a one-sided affair for a while i i want to say david even when washington state's good mm-hmm. uh this is, seems a big brother little brother thing yeah uh I, it was funny i was talking about this on the, the radio this morning with the pac-12 guys when we see on our twitter feed like washington fans have uber confidence that they they don't care how good washington state is like they do not feel it's not even gonna, they don't even feel it's gonna be close well the last couple of years it hasn't
0: been no at all even with washington state being pretty good um and there is reason to think that chris peterson just has washington state's number especially the way they handle the leech offensive scheme and i think I'm trying to remember, but I think at Boise State he was also able to do this. I think he was there, maybe overlapped with Leach a couple of years when he was at Boise State, and they might have played once. I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up, but nonetheless, um, you know they've they've shut down this offensive scheme. Um, and if you look at what Justin Wilcox, who's kind of a, a, a Peterson protege, was able to do defensively against Washington State, there's reason to think that maybe just what they do defensively causes issues for, yeah. for a Washington state coach squad or for a leech coach squad. Um, three points. I was expecting this more to be like pick them territory. Oh, okay. um, Cause Washington is really good still. Um, and advanced stats love the Huskies still. Um, and,
1: Oh, yeah. our, our boy Andrew is probably going to give us a, you know, an eye chart about how, like...
0: You oh, know. our boy Andrew is all over this. Yes. Um, but, like, look at what they've lost this year. They've lost to Auburn by five um, in basically a road game. They lost at Oregon in basically a road game, but one that they probably should have won. And they lost at Cal by two points in a game they probably should have won. But they're losing really, really close games. Um, on the other hand, Washington State is playing some dominant football of late Um, Arizona dominant win Uh, Colorado was a pretty dominant win. And that was with the offense, not necessarily playing super well Um, Cal, you know, that was a classic Cal game where they uglyed up a game where Washington state should have run away with it. Um, And, you know, at Stanford, they played really well against Oregon at home. They played really well. They've been playing at like a peak level. And I don't know if Washington has consistently gotten there this year, I think Gardner Minshew is a lot better than Luke Falk. I think Minshew gives them that kind of advantage against a very tough defense. His mobility, his ability to extend plays, um, get outside the pocket, do what he needs to do. Um, That's enough for me.
1: I'll take Washington State minus three. Wow. You know what? So my preseason pick was Washington to win and Utah to win the South. Now, Utah already did that. I think you picked Utah to finish seventh in the, the Pac-12 South, right? Like if you, you know, uh, seventh or eighth. I can't remember which. <laughs> uh, P- Chris Peterson getting three points. I'm going to take Washington in this one. Not feeling confident at all. More to kind of give you a chance to get back into this, but it's really I'm just going to go along with my my pick of pick taking Washington from the beginning. Getting three points, the history here, but my gut feeling says that Washington State's going to win this by like ten or fourteen. Uh, but I'll I'll, I'll I'm going to give you an opening here. I'll go. I'll take opposite of you. Give you a chance to to earn a game, and then I'll go along with my pick. So, uh, but I I feel like Washington State's playing really good football right now. But this is a hump that they kind of have to get over. They played a close game with a team that had a bunch of athletes like USC, um, and you know I kind of feel like it might be a close one against uh, Washington here too. So you know maybe a special teams play goes. Certain way. We'll see. But right. I'll take Washington in this one. Um,
0: Andrew has never been happier with you.
1: Has oh he for Oh they, yes right true, Washington yeah. plus three. I you know, I love Andrew, but man, I just need some expert. like it's there's too much information for like a series of seven tweets to like here's this chart, and you can obviously see if you look down I'm like no, you can't obviously see anything. <laughs> this is really hard. Uh but you know he does a great job uh analyzing all that stuff. Okay. Uh, next up, I don't think this has a name. We have Stanford Cardinal, and uh, they'll be in the Rose Bowl taking on UCLA Bruins.
0: I think we should call it the Jim Mora Memorial Showdown. Uh, that's cool. Yeah the 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 the, the, the Mora Hogan Showdown. <laughs> that's what we'll call it from here on out. Um, uh, this game's on on Saturday. It's a twelve p.m. kickoff on the Pac twelve Network. Uh, Stanford traveling to UCLA. Stanford is six and four. UCLA is three and eight, but three and eight with a bullet. Yeah. One in a row. (laughs) One in a row. Um, Stanford, they opened as five and a half point favorites. They are now only five point favorites over the UCLA Bruins. Um, This is a tough one. Uh, Stanford has won like, I don't know. 75 straight in this matchup, something like that. I I think it's 80. 80. 80 straight <laughs> games including 70 over Jim Mora over 6 years. Um so it's a tough matchup for anybody this Stanford receiving core. Um UCLA's secondary is probably the best and most intact part of UCLA's defense, but um even a very healthy secondary has trouble Covering this group of receivers. I don't know if JJ Sega White will be back for this one, um, but Kobe Parkinson, um, that whole list of tight ends, Caden Smith, like those are tough guys to cover. Um, UCLA safety play has been pretty good at times. Darius Pickett is a tougher, tough yeah. safety who can knock the ball out, but he got banged up in the SC game. Did he? He came, right he came back. back, in. back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was fine. Um, so that's all a challenge on that side of the ball, but. Stanford's defense has not been super strong this year and UCLA their offense, you know, it's not going to get rated highly at this point. But over the last, I don't know, six games, they've been playing a lot better football. Um, So I wouldn't be shocked if they're able to move the ball pretty consistently against Stanford. I think this line is right. I think it's going to be a one score game. Um, I'll take UCLA plus five. I don't know if I would take them to win, but five seems like a good amount given um, that I think this is going to be a one-score game, and I could easily see it being a field goal either way.
1: Yeah, I could see that too. My gut, though, I'm going with Stanford in this one, um, just with the history. And The, the other issue with the, the previous game we talked about, Washington State's been really good at covering spreads too all year. Like They're really good against the number, so it's tough to pick Washington there. Um, I kind of feel like UCLA might be – coming down a little bit off of might the, have shot their wad that, they there might was, have They might uh, have. because that's a big if you live in the city like even if ucla is not a good team that's a big deal like they put there's a lot usually put into that game i'm not sure bouncing back even the way you started talking about it it was like there wasn't like this excitement to talk about ucla and stanford stanford had basically a bye week coming in so i'm gonna take the cardinal here but never feel comfortable with With uh, David Shaw covering any sort of spread, even if it's under a touchdown. If it was anywhere, if it was like six, I don't think I would do it. But five is like, okay. But you you basically expect Stanford to win by a field goal. But I kind of feel like maybe they'll win by a touchdown on this one. So I'll I'll take Stanford and uh, give him the five points. And I think this is actually a pretty big test for Chip Kelly
0: because this is the classic UCLA move at this point, would be to lose by like 28. Like yeah. after, you know, having the big emotional high to then have a huge emotional valley. Um, if they play this game competitively, win or lose. But if they're competitive in this game, I think that's a great sign
1: for the yeah. future. All right. So we'll uh, we'll differ on that one, too. So this is a, this is a chance to make up some ground, David. Uh, okay. Here's uh, another uh, another rivalry game we have. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> On the road, taking on Arizona Wildcats. I think they call this one the apple cup. This is (laughs) the orange, the orange bowl, the the, the orange plate, the Uh, orange cup. No, this one is the territorial cup. Correct. It's for reals. Yes. Not the other ones I said was the territorial cup.
0: Um, This one's on at 1230 on Fox Sports one on Saturday. Uh, Arizona state traveling to Arizona, Arizona state is six and five, Arizona is five and six, but both teams are four and four in the PAC 12. Yes. So this is for, I believe second place in the PAC 12 South behind Utah. So
1: yeah, I believe so. Yeah, those are the two. Yeah.
0: That's some stakes right there. Yeah. Um, Cause
1: uh, this is only one team outside of Utah can have a winning record in the PAC 12 South in <laughs> conference. And the winner of this game will be that. Yeah. Um, so Arizona state is favored
0: by two points, which again, I feel like this game should have been about a pick Um, Arizona state has been pretty good this year. Um, I think their offense is probably the best unit in this game. Um, Nikhil Harry and Edo Benjamin, I think are very, very tough to cover, but Arizona prior to this Washington state game was playing a lot better defensively Yeah. Um, and they were looking like they might be a tough team. How are they going to respond to the Washington state blowout? That's the real question here, because if they respond and they say, okay, now we have to really like rebound from this and do something, but losing by 41, like losing your ass to Washington (laughs) state, I don't know. Like, it's one thing if they lost a tough game, but losing that way,
1: yeah. Give me ASU. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. The the only reason is I did watch a whole lot of that Arizona-Washington State game. And there's no way my my fingers would type, Ryan picks Arizona (laughs) after seeing that. Like, I just can't. Now, it's at home, and uh, it's the rivalry game, and you got two first-year coaches in the desert going at it. But Arizona State just is in all these games. And Arizona's played well in some of these games, but they've been – that, that was just a – I mean, that was just – A laugher. That was a laugher. Uh, you got to show a little bit better than that. So I can't in good conscience pick because um, – They were ferocious. Yeah, it's just I can't pick them. So I'm taking uh, Herm, ASU, ASU going for back-to-back second place Pac-12 South finishes. I think Herm gets it done.
0: And Arizona then would finish not bowl-eligible. That's
1: rough too. Yeah. So, like, if ASU loses, uh, they would still be bowl eligible. This would knock out another Pac 12 team out of bowl eligibility. So, we, you know, we thought looking at the Pac 12 standing, like, we thought there'd be like 10 teams bowl eligible. But, you know, if ASU wins, Arizona's out. Unless USC beats Notre Dame, they're out. UCLA's out. Colorado's got to beat Cal for them to be in. Oregon State's out. So, I mean, it could be a a case of, you know, two, like seven, uh, seven teams being bowl eligible, which, you know, that's the number of bowl allotments that the PAC 12 gets. But at one point we thought it could be 10, you know, um, now it still could be nine or something, but you know, we'll see. Uh, I guess it still could get up to 10 if everything falls right, but, uh, but it's going to depend uh, on this next game, which now you're talking about an interim coach, you got Colorado Buffalo going on the road to take on California golden bears. Yes,
0: yeah, so this game's on at 4 PM on the PAC 12 network, Colorado doing, kn- who is the interim coach? Do we know? Uh,
1: yeah, he, I forget who it. Was, uh, crap. I, um, I didn't pull it up, but yeah, he, uh, he spoke, uh, after Rick George did, and, uh, yeah, it seemed, I mean, they're, they're focused on trying to win this game and then trying to become uh bowl eligible. Yeah. So this one, um, this
0: is, uh, Colorado's five and six, California's six and four traveling to Berkeley. Um, do we, we'll see how the air quality is, I guess for this game. Oh, true. Yeah. Um, cause I still don't think it's great today, but the wind was supposed to shift. Um, Colorado, is a 12 and a half point dog oh that's a lot of points that's a lot of
1: points yeah that
0: is a ton of points um Cal's defense is by far the best unit in this game so that is a factor um their offense is by far the worst unit in this game (laughs) um so that's another factor I don't know about 12 and a half points. Um, if Mike McIntyre was still the coach, I would feel better about taking Cal. Um, but teams have a tendency to play up for their interim coach, play up in that final game after a firing. I've seen that a ton over the years. UCLA last year beat Cal in a similar situation, firing Jim Mora. Um, and then Jed fish one by three against Cal. Um, So Cal should be able to shut down this offense to a large extent. I just don't know how much they're going to be able to score. Um, So I'm going to take Colorado plus 12 and a half. Um, I
1: don't think they win, but I think they keep it
0: to within seven to 10 points.
1: Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you there. Uh, I I feel like this could be a rejuvenation um, for Colorado. There is something to play for because it's bowl eligible. Uh, I don't think, Cal, I mean, and this is one of those things where you have like two ways to win when you're doubling down with 11 against the 16, like California, we just, their offense just hasn't been all that good. Now they, it's been better when you just go in with chase Garbers, but I I don't feel like they're going to score a whole ton of points. That's, that's just a lot. So if Colorado does some good things, they should be able to cover this spread fairly easy. It's going to have to be like Cal's offense plays decent and Colorado is just terrible, you know? And I don't, I don't expect that to happen it obviously it could um we don't know how they're going to respond if colorado just comes out and lays an egg then you know cal will win by like 21 or something but I, I feel like the the 12 and a half is a lot so i'll agree with you i'll take colorado too
0: and just to note steven montez might be out for this one he's questionable oh, okay so that plays a role and then also um the interim coach is kurt roper the cord bricks coach
1: okay um so eh, we'll see We'll see what happens there. All right. uh, We got two non, you know, out of conference games, non-conference games to talk about. So first we have the uh, number three in the country ranked Notre Dame fighting Irish traveling to the Coliseum to take on
0: USC Trojans.
1: The fighting Irish. (laughs) Oh yeah. We can have you do the sound effects. Yeah.
0: Oh, my pot of gold. That's tough to do with uh, the voice. Yeah. Yeah. He's still
1: pretty good at you better than me. I, I wouldn't even attempt it.
0: All right. This is 5 p.m. on ABC number three, Notre Dame, uh, 11 and 0, on the brink of the college football playoff. Traveling to five and six, Gutty little <laughs> USC. Um at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Um, you know, I I just don't think USC is getting enough respect in this game. Well,
1: Notre, Notre Dame is favored by ten and a half points. After See, it opened as an eight point. Okay. I so I, at, at the eight point, I tweeted out, give me that. So I feel like I should get the eight points in this one. You know, like. You mean give me the USC money line? No, I'm saying, <laughs> I said, I want Notre Dame uh, minus eight. And so now by the okay. time we record this the next day, we got to do 10 and a half, which I still will take. I will still lay the 10 and a half, but. Are you saying these guys are not going to get up for Clay Helton? No, they are to not. To save his job? They are not. Um, <laughs> Notre Dame has every incentive in the world to put a beat down. They put a beat down on Sam Darnold last year. Yep. Now, Notre Dame doesn't always play well in the Coliseum. But but Sam Darnold was a lowly, low
0: four-star. Yeah.
1: <laughs> JT true.
0: Daniels is former five-star
1: quarterback, JT fair, Daniels. That is fair. Uh, but Sam was the number three pick in the draft <laughs> because he was good. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I feel like Notre Dame's going to come out and just. But but hang on, last
0: year T. Martin was calling plays. True. This year,
1: it's Clay. The great Clay Helton is calling plays. Is. In this game
0: that's got to factor. Up.
1: That 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 would change the line not at all. Yeah, <laughs> it's still a safe scheme. Last year,
0: Neil Calloway.
1: Are you trying to like talk me into taking USC? Was the- coaching
0: the offensive line this year.
1: I, I don't Tim know. Drefno. Drefno is knows. Yeah. so that's got to factor in. Yeah, I w- I don't know what the line would have to be for me to take USC in this one. Notre Dame minus twenty one, I think,
0: is like the point at which I would think about USC.
1: Yeah, I th- no. Yeah, I think. Yes. I mean, I I would probably think in the high teens would think, but I would not pull the trigger until it got to three scores. Yeah. At 21 points,
0: I'd be like, okay, that's too many points.
1: Um, So I don't know when the last time USC was a home double-digit dog. I'd have to find that out, but it's... uh, Been a while. It would have to have been a while. (laughs) Been a minute. Like one of those things, like (laughs) this hasn't happened since, you know, Paul Hackett or the the previous century. I think it would... I don't think this century they've ever been a home double digit dog. Maybe, maybe Carol's first year. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe something like that. Like, but that was 99, wasn't it? Uh, no, like, so no, uh, Hackett was 2000. Carol took 2001. Yeah. So Uh, they were, they were five and seven in 2000 under Hackett. So maybe that maybe one of those. Okay. So anyway, by the numbers, Notre Dame is like,
0: I hate Notre Dame. I, (laughs) I, I don't wish for anything good to ever happen to them. But they have an elite defense. Yeah. Like by far the best defense USC will have played this year. Um, they're not gonna give up a ton to this team. And offensively, since Ian Book has taken over the starting job for them, they've been like a top 10-ish offense. This is a legit playoff team. It's not like that 2012 team oh, that, was, that yeah. had no business playing Alabama. Right. Um, this team has every like real reason to be a playoff team. They're they, going to crush USC. They
1: just beat number 15 Syracuse basically on the road wearing. Syracuse like the, was overrated as hell, but yeah. Um, but they made them look horrible and they were made wearing, everybody
0: look horrible like,
1: and their, their uniforms for that game. They were ferocious. They were really the pinstripe that that was bad. That was, that was really bad. It didn't even look like the Yankees.
0: It looked like those really <laughs> awful, um, angels uniforms from the periwinkle pinstripe uniforms from like the late nineties. <laughs> that's what it looks like to me. Just awful. Um, but no, Notre Dame has been beating everybody this year. They beat Michigan in the opener without Ian book at quarterback. Yeah. So yeah, this is going to be ugly. I would take Notre Dame up to again, minus 21. So minus 10 and a half. That's easy.
1: Yeah. I still want to, you know, get the, those extra three and a half that we just lost by not doing this right. When the line came out, I saw, I think Joey coffin tweeted a line. I'm like, yeah, easy You money. just saw dollar
0: signs. It was like I just thought, like, oh,
1: my God. Like, I, I'm going to quit my job and go this. Okay. Um, so we'll talk about that. The last game, uh, we have BYU traveling to Utah Utes. This is the Apple Cup, right? I think this one is the Civil War. Oh, okay. Civil Civil War. No. Holy War. BYU and Utah. Correct. For
0: reals. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, so this is on at 7 p.m. on Fox Sports One. BYU is six and five. Uh, number 19, Utah is eight and three. Game is in Salt Lake. Um, so it will be a home game for the Utes. Uh, let's see what the line is Utah is favored by 13 and one half points. Ooh. Um, so since the start of the year, BYU, um, At the beginning of the year, looked like they might be a pretty good team. Yeah. Um, They beat Arizona, right? Yeah. They beat Arizona. They lost close to Cal, which has turned out to be a decent enough loss, and they beat Wisconsin on the road. Um, Since then, things have kind of fallen apart. They lost bad to Washington, lost to Utah State, lost to Northern Illinois in eight utterly unwatchable seven to six game (laughs) and lost at Boise state. And their wins are, you know, nothing like nothing great about them. Uh, Utah, on the other hand, has hit its stride majorly, um, even with backups at running back backup at quarterback. Uh, Their defense is um, trending very close to elite at this point. And offensively, they're not bad. Um, They seem to have hit a rhythm even with backups in at the skill spots. So, uh, 13 and a half. Yeah. I'll take Utah there. Um, and they've also made a habit of, uh, turning this game into just a beatdown of late. So yeah, I'll take Utah.
1: Yeah. Just, I gotta go pack 12 here. No matter what I, I, BYU, every time I watch them, it's like, it's, it doesn't even seem like it's the same team. It doesn't even look like from the same decade. I don't know. They just look so different every time I've seen them. Uh, they look way different when you saw them play Washington and then they played, uh, cal or when they played arizona i don't know what to make of them but i like the way utah's playing i'll just take utah and hope they win by 14 and i kind of think they will
0: yeah so last year um i guess they only won by six last year and a point the year before in this game what am i thinking of what was so, the year where they just blew them out or the, no they were close to blowing them out in the vegas bowl three years ago
1: and then byu came back but, okay anyway well, we'll see uh so we got seven games this week it's uh it's gonna be interesting It'll two be two out of conference games um one we don't expect to just be a beating a dead horse well we'll see who knows USC has athletes like they could come out and play well but I just don't see it honestly like I like they have the athletes to
0: win that game oh yeah like they're the probably the most talented team Notre Dame has played aside from maybe Michigan yeah but but that was true seen. about UCLA
1: last week too. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. That was cool. Uh, we did our week 12 recap, our week 13 previews uh, next week. We'll obviously preview the last couple games for the conference. Then we'll look at bowls and all that kind of stuff. We'll probably talk some recruiting. Yeah. Cause we got the early signing period. So we'll, we'll get like biggins or Huffman or somebody on and do that. But we got to get to questions, man. We do. Um, what? Uh, let's see. What was the date of our last show? We
0: so it's um, the most, so the betrayal one is the one that we would start with.
1: What, what date is that?
0: Uh, November 17th.
1: Oh, okay. So it's not too bad. We're all right. Um, betrayal. Where is that? Oh, betrayal. Okay. Uh, so that's Alex and Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. Hello, Dave and Judas. Wow. So I'm Judas.
0: Apparently. What What did I do? I mean, you're the more religious one, so I think that's more offensive for you.
1: Wow, that's weird. Uh, Dave, you've been backstabbed. Two weeks ago, I wrote in about the Solid Verbal looking for a host to do deep dives and suggested you both go on to represent the podcast of champions. It seems like you both liked the Solid Verbal uh, but hadn't heard about the call. Well, guess what? Ryan goes on and never mentions the podcast of champions. Wow. Ooh. Uh, Dave, how does that knife in the back feel? Will you ever trust a Trojan again, Alex? In Santa Barbara, Ryan, your punish punishment should be ten more years of Helton. Wow, uh, Alex, you! I can't believe you brought this up because I'm speechless. I was going to mention it, but then I said that's probably not a good idea. No, um, I thought I actually did. So I just got a a text from Dan Rubenstein to like come mm-hmm. on the show. They the the week they did it, they interviewed me, and then a guy from Clemson. So they did a deep dive on USC and a deep dive on Clemson, um, but no, I think we mentioned because I, I, I thought we mentioned the podcast of champions because we had Dan on before, uh, and we talked about it. maybe it was pre-show. I don't know, but I've never been more offended in my life, <laughs> and it wasn't me. Like I was, no, he did ask uh, who he should have do UCLA, and I, you know, uh, I said I don't really know anybody, but you know, just don't know anyone who no- really knows anything. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a betrayal, Alex. Um, I mean, there's, and it's, is that really for you to say, Judas? <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, that was a day where I probably did like 15 hours of talking. Yeah, like, your, your brain turns to mush. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> um, all right, Earl in West LA. Chip Kelly. Guys, last week David mentioned that Chip Kelly had cut 15 to 20 players from the UCLA roster, which is why they only needed... 57 scholarship players to beat a Clay Hilton led team. (laughs) Yeah, no, we should be playing this up more. Like this should be like, Hey, UCLA self sanctioned. You know, it was just like, (laughs) and USC couldn't beat UCLA under sanctions in 2012. So, Hey, Um, but anyway, um, nice. I was wondering if UCLA was honoring the scholarships of those players. Yeah. I mean, the way it works is basically you have a conversation with a kid and you say, Hey, you're probably not going to play here will honor your scholarship, but you're never going to play. And then yeah. they elect to transfer. Um, or maybe they have some lingering injury and they take a medical retirement because they don't want to play anymore. And then you're still honoring their scholarship. They're still in school, but they're on a medical retirement now. Yeah. Um, so that's the way that typically works. You don't often see guys just getting cut and told, hey, no, you don't have a spot anymore. Go, you know, F yourself. Go pounce
1: at or something. No. That's a
0: really bad recruiting
1: strategy yes. <laughs> in the
0: long term because you'll piss off um, everyone in that kid's support circle, which includes high school coaches, high school programs, besides the fact that it's a bad thing to do just personally. Yes. Um, And you won't often see coaches doing that unless there's a really strong reason to do it.
1: Yeah. It's weird. Like sometimes, I mean, coaches do different things. Maybe if it's a guy that like, oh, why are you burning that guy's red shirt? Sometimes coaches will burn a red shirt because they just want him out of the program faster. They don't really need to keep him around. Um, There's weird kind of stuff like that uh, that goes on. But yeah, there's no... If if the player wants to just continue to be a UCLA student you know student and not a student athlete, they can continue to do that. I think yeah. USC's got a couple of guys like that. Reti- they retired from the offensive line, and yeah, they, you know they're still, they got a stub toe or whatever, and then they're done. Yeah, but they're still like you'll see guys still involved. And Cole Smith is still around, like helping out with the team yeah. and stuff. Um, but yeah, you can continue on scholarship. It just you won't count though towards that eighty five. Obviously, it doesn't matter right now if you're only talking about fifty seven. You're well under that um, that limit. Uh, We got a question, Wazoo and the Air Raid. Uh, So this is from Matt. Game isn't at halftime yet, and they've posted 55 points. This is bananas. One of the commentators said, Washington State's offense is like an orchestra. I couldn't agree more. The Air Raid being executed at a high level is a thing of beauty. This made me wonder, what do you think is the best college offense to run and win with, and what style do you prefer As a spectator, my favorite was the Oregon Blur Chip Kelly 1.0 offense. Thanks for the pod. That's from Matt. Yeah, I mean, I've got a few favorites, um, but
0: the, the traditional triple option when it is run really, really well is oddly fun. Yeah. Like oddly fun and satisfying. Like Paul Johnson, when his teams are just like really, really rolling, there's nothing better than just watching defenses be like, Wait, where the hell is the ball going to (laughs) go? I don't even understand this. Um, That's probably the most fun I have. Um, Oregon blur when it was at its peak was really fun. Yeah. The air raid. I've never been as big of an air raid guy just watching it because it can be a lot of like just dinking and dunking, dinking and dunking and getting your eight yards, eight yards, eight yards. Um, It's not as like overwhelmingly impressive, but. Um, it's very effective.
1: Um, but, yeah, give me the triple option or uh, the Oregon blur. They're, they're pretty fun. I mean, I just like seeing – for me in college, you have to be well-coached. And you can you can confuse opposing defenses. So when you see – like what you're seeing with Alabama right now, when you see good players with a good scheme doing things – like sometimes you see like USC is a bad scheme with good players where you see some, some – you know, some uh, bright spots and some horrible spots. With Alabama, you don't see that as much. You see, like, a Tunga, you know, a Tua Tunga being able to throw dimes and, and make things and have the run game working. Back in, like, the Pete Carroll, like, the Norm Chow stuff, where it was like eye formation, like, you could run the football down your throat or you could throw it all over them. I like the, the balance kind of thing, but it's not like I'm opposed to air. I like the air raid, too. That's fun to watch because they'll mix in some fun runs and stuff like that, too. The blur was great. Um, I just like when you have good athletes in a great scheme it's just fun for me to watch like know? USC this year Well like in 2004 and 2005 yes not. no like Michael Pittman like having to make a contested catch like every, every single, single time down yeah. for
0: the offense to be successful that's what you want right. right
1: It's the 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 fun part is like when you're like when you set things up, when they're really good offensive schemes, where you set things up, you're you're running. Oh, I see to- what you mean. You mean more like Carl
0: Durrell's West Coast <laughs> offense at UCLA? Yes. Okay. Or
1: or Rick Neuheisel's pistol. The pit. The, now he, yeah. He had. I don't think he had ever run that before in his life, and just decided to incorporate it. Right. Like. Right. Yeah, that's always a good, you know, And a good famously, thing. I heard from Nevada coaches, they're like, that's not our offense. <laughs> that's, that's
0: not the pistol <laughs> offense we created. I don't know what they're running. Nice. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, good stuff. Okay. Uh, this is from uh, Chris, question for the podcast. Ryan Dave, as a slow to warm, but now avid listener from Seoul, I have finally drunk enough Korean liquor tonight to send you a question. As a preface, let me say, as a Husky alum and ex-Texas resident, that your podcast, which might seem to a first-time listener as a junior <laughs> high project, is exactly why the Pac-12 will always be superior to the uber SEC. Kind of an Amazon versus Home Depot or Apple versus Exxon sort of thing, if you can catch the drift. You are spot on with your mostly Dave, to be brutally honest. Jake Brown in comments. I guess I'm the uh, more negative Jake. Browning You're the more uh, analyst. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you take this thought to its logical conclusion as a player, Jake Browning equals Jonathan Smith. Just watch some of the 2000 Oregon state UW games on YouTube. If you don't believe me play intelligently, have Tim Hushman, uh, TJ Hushmanzada, and Chad as receivers face the brilliant Rick Neuheisel as opposing coach and still somehow lose. If that is too esoteric, watch Marcus to against the Beavs and say that with Browning, the cup is full. For all his virtues, Chris Peterson has a glaring blind spot. All that naysaying aside, any Husky who doesn't love the current graduating class in its totality is an idiot and should have attended Wazoo or Oregon. Finally, a question. Minshew looks like the polar opposite of Browning. You know, mustache, no mustache. But as John <laughs> Wilner says, I will pick the Kooks to win the Apple Cup when Wazoo can show they can beat the Huskies. Ryan Dave What matchup will be the most important in determining the Apple cup winner and Utah opponent in the PAC 12 championship. Unless you're clueless, no coaches, please. Uh, cause if I hear execution as an excuse, one more time, I will. Oh, wait, I don't know. If I hear execution as an excuse, one more time, I will puke. You guys are great. Keep up the podcast.
1: Nice. Um, well, okay. So here's the thing. I think Jake Browning's having a decent year when he comes back for a senior, senior season next year. I feel like the, the sky's the limit, right? Like, I think he can really have a huge year. I, I believe he's a senior, Ryan. No, I, he's got to be back one more time, right? No, I think he deserves
0: another year. He should.
1: Uh, can you petition to the NCAA? I think for <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> I think, I think Washington's entire fan base would riot.
1: They, which, how crazy is that? They're like, no, we don't want him back. We don't one... <laughs> want him back. Great NFL, career, you Jake. take him. Yeah. NFL, you take him. Um, Yes, yeah. what,
0: like a scout? What are you talking about?
1: <laughs> so is he saying, like, so he's going to be, like, Jonathan Smith, so is he going to be Oregon State's next head coach? Maybe. Is that what? Maybe. Or maybe Washington's next head coach. Uh, for me, I mean, Chris, uh, great. Uh, thanks for listening all the way in, in uh, Seoul, Korea. That's awesome. Uh, eat some kimchi for us, uh, the Colby beef or whatever. I love that stuff. Um, I think execution is going to be really important in this game. <laughs> what, what You have to execute the game plan. And so yeah. – if you're able to do that, I think because it's a, you know, throw the records out the window. It's a it's a, a big rivalry game. Uh-huh. I don't care who won last year or the last five years, or whatever you got to execute. So if they can execute, they're going to win. Yeah, it's all about execution. <laughs> um,
0: if I'm picking a matchup, it's uh, Washington State's receiving core against Washington's secondary. And probably coupled with that, what kind of pressure Washington can get on Minshew? Um this hasn't been a pressure-happy Washington defense, no. especially this year. Um, and you have to disrupt Minshew a little if you're going to get this offense off its off its stride. Yeah. Um, and I think that Washington State receiving core is playing very confidently right now, but Washington's secondary is great. Um, so that's going to be fun as hell. I think that's going to be a really fun matchup. If Washington State can move the ball, Um, through the air with like consistent six and seven yard pickups, that's going to tell the tale of the game. Um, They haven't been able to do that in this matchup before, Yeah, but they haven't had a quarterback of the caliber of Minshew to this point. So um, I think they're going to be able to do it, but that's going to be it. If, if Washington secondary comes in and just says, no, we're not allowing anything. We're going to hit you after three yards, no matter what you do. um, It's going to be a long day for Washington state, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. But it's totally on the table. I mean, Washington's defense and that secondary is great.
1: Yeah, I think they can lock up some of the receivers and and not make as you're going to get so many easy throws for Gardner Minshew. Uh, but I mean, he's really good at if you blitz him from you know the the left side, the safety on one side, he's throwing it right to that that open spot. Um, but I feel like the Washington off the Washington defense does match up pretty well with the Washington state offense, we've seen it kind of slow down that error rate over the years. So I kind of feel like that's where you're going to have to watch. Um, and, and what does the the Washington state defense that's smaller, uh, that's quicker, what are they able to do to stop, uh, you know, Washington run the football? It's going to be, you're not going to see uh, once, you know, Washington side's not going to be, you know, throwing the ball all over the field. It's just going to be this methodical sort of just, you know, it's, it's this tank that's rolling at you, and you you have to somehow slow it down with a whole bunch of little snipers from all over the place. That's what Washington State's able to do. So if they can't jump out to a big lead and take Washington out of their comfort zone, it's just like this is a machine that Washington will just keep rolling along and keep it close, and they'll be able to kind of strangle you for a win at the end. So um, blitzkrieg, again, if you can get out to a big lead, I think you can change what Washington's game plan is and, and actually change the the fortunes of this game, but I kind of feel like Washington's going to keep it close. And it's like a, you know, a a big boxer that's trying to keep, you know, body blows and stuff as opposed to like a quicker guy running around and, and taking shots and moving all over the place. Yeah. If they force Washington into a lot of passing
0: situations, say they get a 10 point lead and Browning has to win it for them. That's a major win for Washington state. Yeah. They're much better against the pass. They're much better when they can get pressure on a quarterback.
1: When they just have to sit back and deal with the run, you can, you can move the ball on Washington State. Yeah. I don't think they're gonna get the kind of tackles for loss that you saw. Um, you know, Miles Gaskin. Uh, I, I feel like he's gonna have a big game in his his, you know, final yeah. go. Um, so we'll see. Uh but yeah, execution for sure, Chris. Uh that's the one nothing, it, nothing but execution. No, that's the, the most important. Uh this is from Sean in Las Vegas. Uh he says they were herocious. Question. Uh he spells it very differently. H-O-R-R-O-U-C-O-U-S. That's like Herocus. Yeah, that doesn't seem that must be the the way it's pronounced in a different language. The way he spelled that? They were herocious. Yeah. Uh sorry about that, Sean. Okay. Ryan and Dave. First, I would like to thank Dave for enlightening me enlightening me to the word herocious. I use the word all the time now. I use it mostly in my head with Dave's voice. When dealing with work or life changes, <laughs> Dave's word makes me smile and allows me to put things in the right perspective. This is we're touching people, it's Dave. It's lovely. Most of the time things are not as bad as they initially appear to be, with the exception of USC football in 2018. USC is beyond They were ferocious. Uh they were ferocious Squared. They were herocious on steroids. They were ferocious On burnt toast. <laughs> uh, multiple choice question. Is Clay Helton really as bad of a coach as his team's performance indicates? Uh, so, okay. So this is multiple choice. So the question, is he really that bad? One, he's actually a decent coach who is trying to get fired so he can cash out on his buyout. Instant millionaire plus no head coach stress actually makes Clay an evil genius. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Two, as a last resort, Clay is applying the George Costanza quote unquote opposite theory to his game plan and play calling. Unlike the Seinfeld Seinfeld uh, Costanza, man, it's not working for Clay. Why could I not pronounce Seinfeld it's tough. and constanza? Like look at that, like Costanza. It's like when I think about it, when I read it, it like makes me say it differently with the S in there. Uh yes. He is that bad and just might be the most conflicted combination of nice guy plus they were a ferocious coach in the history of NCAA football. For none of the above, please elaborate. Thank you. I love the podcast. Sean in Las Vegas. Well, I think he miswrote the question Is Clay Hilton really as good of a coach oh. as his team's performance
0: indicates? And in that case, I would say obviously yes. He's very, yes, he is that good. Um, but really you're presenting a false choice here. That's why I would pick number four. um seriously, I would say uh, he's pretty obviously in over his head and he's number three here um, yeah and uh, should never have gotten this job in the first
1: place right. That's it. It's he was the assistant coach to a horrible failed coach to a failed coach. A lot of times people are like, well, you hired this assistant. When you hire, like Tom Herbin was the assistant on a national championship winning team for Ohio State. Clay and Hel- he didn't
0: get the Ohio State job. Yes. He got
1: the Houston job. Right. You took a maybe like mediocre assistant that was learning under Lane Kiffin and then Steve Sarkeesian and you made him the head coach of basically like the Ohio state on the West coast. You gave the keys to a Lamborghini to a 16 year old who just got his learners. Program. Right. <laughs> and he's a very, I mean, he is a, a genuinely nice guy. One of the nicest people around like, and, but you know, he, it's like a Peter principal thing. Like he, th- th- he was promoted to a job that was over his head. He, you're right. He was over his head. Um, and I don't think it needed to be that way. I think if you, like Justin Wilcox, maybe he's not that good. He did really good as far as hiring goes. We'll see how good of a head coach. He is. I think he's doing a good job, but but he didn't do that. Like Clay Helton kept it familiar. He didn't hire anyone that would no. be threatening. He didn't hire anyone that was better than him. And when your ceiling's not that high, that's 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 bad. Like Justin Wilcox, we don't know how good he is, but he hired people that had already been more established than he was, which by, which definitionally means that he's already like
0: pretty good. Because yeah. if knowing what you don't know, knowing that you need expertise, sacrificing that ego is a huge part of being a good head coach. Yeah, When you can, when you are comfortable enough in your own skin to hire people who
1: are good, that's a big sign. Right. So like for, for this podcast, for example, like, so if I start it and I'm like, and I hired Dave, So that's more of a Clay Helton move. I don't want anyone that's better than me. I want to keep it. But if I would have got someone like really good. Right. Then it would have been like, then I would have felt confident in my own abilities. Like Kyle. Kyle Banagura.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like if you had a competent co-host like (laughs) Kyle Banagura, then it would be like, wow,
1: Ryan must be really good. Because he's confident enough to bring in a good guy. Right. But I, you know, I keep it. No, you are the Clay Helton of (laughs) podcasting. This was not me hiring Dave. This was us. This was us collaboration together where we just thought, Hey, yeah. let's do this. It's a collaboration where you do like 95% of the work. <laughs> You're here
0: now. It's true. Um, all right. How many, we got a few left. All right. All right. So this is a true false. Always fun. True or false uh, dollar sign. You see it edition. So uh, I guess suck it, but it's interesting because I think he meant to say USC it. Oh, edition, But suck it works. Gotcha. I uh, see, uh, yeah. uh, Interesting. This is um, post game, right? This is after the game. Must be. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's Sunday. Hey Ryan and Dave, what a weekend. Let's play true or false. Dave UCLA fans need to start work worrying about Josh Kelly going pro after this year. I'd say no. Yeah. But running back short shelf life. I still don't see it. I don't know that he has necessarily the national rep to go like top three or four rounds and I don't know how much of a like a, an immediate priority it is for him anyway. Yeah.
1: It's a former walk-on from UC Davis. I don't know. Right. He seems pretty happy to be there. Uh, I mean, he got benched in one of the games earlier, but he's, you know, they were playing like five running backs. Now he's established, right? So I think he could see himself doing some really good things in the offense next year. So I I think there's a lot of upside, I think, to coming back. Um, It would have to be a shelf life thing for him to not want to, but. And he doesn't have that. I mean, he doesn't have any miles, many miles on those legs. I mean,
0: he didn't play a ton at UC Davis, which is amazing. It's incredible, incredible story. All right, if JT Daniels can add a second of hang time to those arm punts, he might have a nice future ahead of him. True, true, yeah. If you can get that, you're talking NFL level. Well, I thought the first one, I thought the placement was really good, (laughs) and it was well covered. Like he didn't outkick his coverage. (laughs) He got it right down the sideline too. Like. If it hadn't been fielded and fair caught at like the 40, it would have gone right out of bounds. Yeah. That was good distance and hang time. I thought it was great. <laughs> um, the second one, he needed a little bit. I mean, I think a little bit more air under it. Yeah,
1: that was it was kind of a line drive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um
0: Clay Helton just needs more time. Uh sidebar, who's going to want to come to a school that fires a coach after a Rose Bowl win and a Pac 12 title? Everyone's entitled to a down year. I mean, come on. Uh, I think he definitely just needs more time.
1: Right. Uh, false and I love uh, even USC fans will say that who's going to want to come. It's like, and they well, missed the first part of this, which is a joke of a coach won a pac 12 title and <laughs> a Rose bowl. Right? Like you could be like mediocre. You could be the David Woods of podcasting and, and win a national championship exactly. at USC. Yeah. I No,
0: no, actually <laughs> you could be the David Woods. You could be me. Like literally me put me as the head coach of USC and I'd probably like win eight games. No, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of advantages there. So, yeah.
1: uh, interesting. All
0: right. Um, the post-game interview is the first time anyone has ever seen Chip Kelly smile. True. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two non-true or false questions. Assuming we've seen the last of Gomer Helton. Dave, who should UCLA fans fear most that you uh, SUC could potentially hire? Anybody good? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, there's basically anybody who's had proven success. So... I don't know who's going to be available like Jeff Brom or yeah, like Jeff Brom. I, I think Jeff Brom's probably done to Louisville. Louisville like, yeah. That sounds like that's likely. Um, but I mean, they're going to go out. I mean, they should go after guys who are established at other power five schools, like a Bob
1: Stoops or something.
0: Yeah. Like a Bob Stoops. I think there's a lot of guys who, um, you don't have to be a top five coach ever to succeed at USC. You need to be like a comfortably like, top 10, top 20% coach in college football. And that's a lot of guys. Yeah. Matt Campbell, you could talk me into that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see how Urban Meyer finishes at Ohio State. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be looking for another job immediately, but if if he decides he's done there, maybe he will. Um, but I don't know that there's a specific name. I think it's a specific type of coach. Yeah. Somebody who's proven, somebody who has had success at, a lower level or even the same level
1: um they're going to but that's who USC doesn't go after they don't no. do
0: they don't do the thing that you should do so among the realistic options i would be more afraid of jack del rio than jeff fisher
1: yeah right <laughs> <laughs> for sure and that's i guess the second one kind of um ryan who is a coach that could conceivably be hired but really shouldn't be i mean like jeff fisher is, uh, should not be hired like you could i like there you can make arguments for jack del rio even though my criteria is USC should never hire anyone right. that played there or just go someone outside the program. But I feel like he might come in and be, uh, an have adult. a stronger voice. He's yeah. at least an adult. Yeah. Uh, but I, to me, college and the NFL are so different. Uh, you know, Herm's doing pretty good there, you know? And I, I think he made like solid hires around him and the right kind of things. And it's not like Jack Del Rio couldn't do that, but, USC's just done that for so long. You just want someone that's just been a college guy. You know, like, I don't care. Is it PJ Fleck or whoever it is? Like Mm -hmm. someone that's just like, hey, he's a really good college coach. Bring that person in. And what can you do at a place like USC where you don't have any, you know, all these guys don't have five-star athletes all over the place. And and USC does, you know, so what can you do with that? Yeah. Uh, Interesting. All right. Thanks for those questions. Uh, For a a UCLA fan to call him Gomer, Gomer. helton then that's pretty that's pretty bad all right congrats this is kind of long steve in salt lake uh first off being in salt lake let me say congratulations it was a crazy tough year filled with an incredible amount of adversity the competition was fierce the team battled through obstacle after obstacle and in the end they proved all their doubters wrong congrats to colorado's women cross country (laughs) team for their national championship That's another trophy for the Conference of Champions. Thanks, Buffs. Podcast of Champions. We are. We have to talk about the champions, and that's the only ones we can do. Uh, I know how much you guys love true or false. Man, another one. And by love, I mean you mildly (laughs) tolerate them. So here are a few. Uh, Utah, in the same fashion as Texas Tech or Oklahoma State, now has a quote-unquote system offense that allows you to plug and play different positions without a huge drop-off in performance. I'm going to say... Uh it's a tough binary. Um, I'd probably go false for now
0: because we yeah. just haven't seen it enough. But certainly some really good signs over the last, what is it, six to eight weeks?
1: Yeah. I'd say false too, because I think Huntley did bring something different. And uh, you know, but I, I think there's similarities there, but I wouldn't say it's like a system system, right? Not At least yet. right now. Give me another year of it. Like let me yeah. see it again next year and then we can talk. Utah's going all system after having the same offensive coordinator for two years in a, <laughs> a row. <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I know Utah fans aren't used to this yeah. having the
0: same offensive coordinator two years for more in a than row, six months at a time. That doesn't yeah. necessarily mean you have a system, right?
1: Yet. Uh, two, there are no, the, there has been no greater collapse in the history of the Pac-12, Pac-10, Pac-8 caveman times than Colorado. I feel like there's been other ones because I've I asked. I think I asked the question like who started off five and zero. I think Arizona State started off like five and one and didn't make a bowl.
0: What was the year UCLA started out like was it 2000 or 2001 where they started out like 5 or 6 and 0 and then finished like 8 and 5 or something like that? That's pretty big. But this
1: would be like a 5 and 0 start to no bowl game is pretty big. Like that's a pretty big collapse. Yeah. The Oregon State collapse in itself like that's one of the most um they were ferocious of all time like as far as collapses go. I think it was like the third you know, uh, biggest comeback ever. And this was, this wasn't like a very talented, like Washington team coming back on a mediocre Oregon team. This was a really bad Oregon state team coming back on you 28 points in the third quarter. Yeah, that's probably right. Um, yeah. The one I was thinking of UCLA, 2001,
0: they started out six and Oh, and were number four in the country. And then they
1: finished seven and four. Wow. So that's not good, but it's not I'm gonna go true. I think. Yeah, I'll go true. It's pretty bad. Uh, Marcus Arroyo will be calling plays next year for Oregon. Yeah, yeah, I'll go true. True. Justin Wilcox should receive less praise for exceeding expectations and beating Washington and USC, and more blame for forcefully playing McElwain and potentially costing Cal the North Division.
0: I'll say false because I think they've over. I mean, I think they've overachieved in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that was a mistake but they've also won some games where they were not like even the advanced stats afterwards say they shouldn't have won that game. But if you're watching it live, he's a really good close game coach. Like he's really good at kind of managing the situations and getting them to play over their heads. When a team plays over its head consistently, that's usually a sign of pretty good coaching. So I think you focus on that more, but they need to limit those kinds of right. Baffling personnel decisions like playing
1: McIlwain. I mean, We've seen David Shaw do this too. So I'm not yeah. going to like, uh, I'm going to say false too. It's not a, I mean, you're going to make some mistakes like that. And sometimes personnel mistakes can be very personal, like personnel mistakes. So yeah. for whatever reason, they wanted that athletic ability, but it's just baffling when you see Garber's run, like, he was good at right. running. Like, or like USC
0: playing the wrong quarterback this year. Yeah. Like we don't want to focus on that. Because <laughs> look at everything else good that Clay Elton has done.
1: Yeah, you want to focus on the positives. We're yeah. we're a positive podcast here. Five, be, uh behind Arizona State's win over Michigan State, the second best out of conference win for the Pac-12 is between Utah over seven and four Northern Illinois or Stanford over seven and four San Diego State. So clearly,
0: um, he doesn't realize that clay's going to pull this off this weekend.
1: Oh, up until beating 11 and 0 Notre Dame. Right. I think it would be true. Um, yeah, I I, there's true. really nothing there. Like there's not much, no. the Nebraska win is, I mean, at the time it was good. Um, but you know, what have they won? Are they, they actually got, Nebraska clubs. is better than their record.
0: Like, yeah. I think that's a fair thing to say. Um, I still don't think that was a great win though. I mean, it was right. another game where Nebraska should have won that. For they should
1: 20. have won the game and Nebraska didn't get the play. The Colorado played the game. Nebraska had their game snowed out or whatever it was, you know, the first, yeah, week. They, they were going to snowed out, but yeah. it was uh whatever the tornadoes and stuff. Okay. The bonus question, Rick Neuheisel is a better coach than Clay Helton. That's for you, Dave. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is a perfect question, Steve, in Salt Lake, because you're just like, I can see the smoke coming out of the out of the ears of the uh, headphones that Dave is wearing right now. He just doesn't know what to say.
0: Well, because here's the thing. I don't think they're too dissimilar, and I think if you stuck Rick Neuheisel at USC, uh, USC would never, ever be lower than, like, top two recruiting-wise. Like, the talent in the program, which is great right now, would be even slightly better because I think he's – Rick Neweisel was a great recruiter at four and eight UCLA. Yeah. Put him at at USC, and I think he would be like – you would talk about him as maybe the best head coach recruiter in the country. But he's even less of a competent coach like on the field than Helton. Yeah. I mean, Helton's recruited good. Like it's not been – no, it would be like a marginal difference this way and marginal negative the other way. Okay. So it's pretty much a wash. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go false. I'm gonna say Helton's better. All right. But
1: it's close. No, I say true. Rick is my guy. Rick's your dude. <laughs> Just because you don't like him. I can't so. ever say that. I would never <laughs> be able to say it. Uh, thanks guys. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving or you all have a great Thanksgiving, Steve and Salt Lake. Thanks, Steve.
0: All right. This is from uh, Keon in the Bay area. Hey guys, as I sit here and relish in the victory over the ketchup and mustard guys on big Fox, I got to thinking about how the LA media market was enough for Fox to pick this game over many others. No matter how much people nationally mock PAC 12 football, the inventory is worth a lot to Fox and ESPN. Someone let Larry know. The Pac-12 football TV rights are up again in a few years. What kind of changes would you like to see to the TV rights for the Pac-12 in the next contract? Let's try and keep it somewhat realistic. Neither Fox nor ESPN are going to give us a dedicated weekly East Coast primetime slot or something like that, but maybe a new player like NBC or Turner would. I'll let you guys decide if Larry Scott is the one negotiating the next deal and if that changes your answer. Thanks, guys. Look forward to the podcast every week. Keep up the great work. PS
1: Clay Helton deserves at least four more years at USC obviously. We've uh we've had a lot of our listeners rally around the the Clay Helton needs more time uh yeah. to and it's funny it's 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 sort of divided uh fairly evenly between USC fans on one side saying no and everyone, everyone else <laughs> Thing, <laughs> yeah, Both, we're just more generous people. Yeah, like that. For eleven teams in the the Pac-12, the conference of champions, to, to be united, uh, if you get beautiful? those USC people on board, it, everyone would be in agreement that Clay Helton needs more time. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's that's pretty. I mean, there, there's no more. I think, talk about this on the message boards too. Like you, you go on, bro. Do people agree on anything? Like, no. But when someone, when everyone agrees on something, then you know it. Like, there's something. Weird going on. It's pretty sweet. Everybody agrees that Clay Hilton needs to be fired. Like there's, there might be a couple people, like we had to lock a thread because someone's like, you know, I kind of do think he should be more tired. Everyone's like, are you being sarcastic? It was, we had to lock it because they were like attacking this poor guy. So there, there's probably a couple out there, but for the most part, 99% or whatever, it's all consensus and you never get that on the message board. No. It'd be like, pat you know, trying to pass a bill through Congress and all the Republicans and Democrats are like, yes, this is great. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know what, it just never happens and it's happening right now. So that, course, that's not a good sign. That's wonderful. Um, TV rights. Um, I think like the NBC or something would be interesting. I'm not sure we, we just saw a huge deal for, I think it was major league baseball with Fox and, and Wilner wrote a piece about that where, Hey, the PAC 12 is banking on the Facebooks and the YouTubes and stuff to be a big player. Well, this is traditional you know this was a traditional uh media partner winning out not you know it wasn't youtube or facebook or anything like that so he's not sure we don't know what's going to happen in five years like we just don't know but someone like nbc would be interesting like even when i talked about hey if usc did an independent thing nbc only does notre dame would they want to do more college football if it was a one team like they do usc and notre dame or do they take a conference like they do Notre Dame and the pac 12? Like you have your own network that would promote a lot. I mean, something like that could be interesting too, as both as pot of, instead of being like part of this Borg of you know, all the other stuff, you could still have games on ESPN and Fox, but if you had your own network uh that wasn't, you know, that was, that was seen by everybody. I think that would be good too.
0: Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what's going to be, what, what flexibility they'll have in terms of all of that, because I've, I've heard that they want, More flexibility in terms of the times of day that they can, you know, put games on, which would mean adding teams like further to the east, further to the east, right? Um, to get into different time slots. I don't know if you could maybe develop a relationship with another conference so that you're doing some sort of, I don't know, Pac 12 Big Ten challenge or Pac 12 ACC challenge or something where you're consistently getting non conference games on Saturdays throughout the season. That can be at like nine a.m., ten a.m. Um, I would be creative and look at that sort of stuff from a time slot perspective. Um, I just don't know what else they're going to have in terms of flexibility. Yeah, adding networks, I think it changes things a little bit, but it's not changing the fundamentals. And I don't know that it's they're still going to want to put as much on the Pac-12 network as they can to try to build up that brand. Um, they
1: they got to go down to just one. Channel. They have to. The, there's you don't need seven Pac-12 so networks. Dopey. It's it's awful. So just do one. Do it well. Focus on the big sports. And you have more the programming that's, you know, like what we see pregame and stuff, more of stuff like that. Um, you just have to do what people want to see. Uh, it's not like you're going to ignore lacrosse and water polo and stuff but it would make it more meaningful when you have one of those things on so you're not just showing everything possible and
0: really build out the online streaming experience i think for it because i think a lot of the way that new subscribers are finding the pac-12 network is via the app um and it's dog shit like it's not good and what you'll find is that a lot of times when you're on there what i'll find is that it'll buffer or it'll like just kind of collapse when i'm watching the game and then i'll have to reload it and get back into it um fixing that and making it a much better experience to go on the app would be good
1: they were ferocious. yeah and you know i every pac 12 game i watch is on my tablet because if you need to like you can't stream it on your tv like if you don't have the the channel um you can't like there's no app for it on your television or anything. So it's like you have to watch it on a, a mobile device. Yeah. And uh that's that's bad too. Like why don't you have something on Roku and, and and you know on Amazon and all that stuff? Yeah. Any new money should be invested into that online experience. Yeah. Um all right,
0: this is from Josh. You ready? Yeah. Hey, Ryan and Dave, this is your loyal listener in Arkansas, Joshua. Congrats to Dave for winning the toilet bowl. Congrats to Ryan in advance for ruining Notre Dame season. Please ruin their season. <laughs> uh, Wazoo scored 69 points. Nice. Is that kickoff for a touchdown the wildest play you've ever seen?
1: I mean, it's pretty freaking wild. It was pretty great.
0: Um, I'm here to get Mike Leach and Uncle Rico into the playoff. Need you to come through one time, Ryan. You owe Wazoo for the non-targeting, uh, for the non-targeting. Then uh, Oklahoma loses to West Virginia, Ohio State beats Michigan, and Georgia loses to Georgia Tech. Then we just need Georgia to beat Bama in the SEC title game. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Of course, none of this matters because Wazoo never wins the Apple Cup. But I have a feeling this year is different. Jake Lobain Browning seems like he has one more stinker left in him. My question is, how drunk does college football have to get for Wazoo to get in the playoff? Responsible mom at Thanksgiving with one glass of white Zinfandel or crazy uncle with a bottle of wild turkey who says, I'm drinking my turkey this year. <laughs> Every time he drinks straight out of the bottle. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Thanksgiving, Joshua. Um, I would say middle distance. Like, yeah. Um, your dad like kind of sadly drinking a six pack like while watching football while like not engaging with. The family, yeah, like, like the
1: early game, he had a big bet on it, and yeah. he lost it. And now he's just kind of pissed. He hits like smaller bets on he, the later games. He's trying to drink himself back to cheerfulness, <laughs> but never getting there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's where that's where you need it to be because um, it doesn't require everything you said.
1: No, I don't think you want Georgia. I think you want Alabama you just want to, win. to win out. because yeah. I don't
0: think Georgia one loss as a non-title as a non-SEC winner is getting into the playoff. they will
1: be a, year. there'll be a two-loss team. They'll
0: they'll be a two-loss yeah. team after that. Um, Oklahoma basically, you need so Notre Dame is probably in, uh, Clemson is probably in, Alabama is probably in those three. I wouldn't like try to touch that. The main things you need are Michigan to lose to either Ohio State or Northwestern, yeah, and you need Oklahoma to lose to West Virginia. If that happens, Wazoo's in, yeah, I think pretty much guaranteed. And that's not out of the question. West Virginia won't be much more than a seven point dog in that game. And Michigan won't be much more than a seven point favorite against Ohio state and much more than like a 10 point favorite of Northwestern.
1: So that's reasonable. Yeah. Could if you, obviously if USC can beat Notre Dame, that's, that opens up a spot mm-hmm. too. But as we said, um, not bloody likely. Right. So I think it's going to happen. <laughs> you didn't pick it. Clay's going to do it. Uh, Okay. Next up, uh, Ryan G. from Your Belinda. Unintended consequences with benefits. Hmm. You've piqued my interest. Uh, Dear Ryan and Dave, I was basking in the afterglow of the UCLA victory over SUC. Not a typo. Oh. And I began. So he did that on purpose. And I began to wonder whom dollar sign C. Still not a typo might hire, and now whom Colorado may hire as their new head coach, perhaps Matt Wells from Utah State. That's another good name, too. That would be a good hire. Uh, Obviously, in the past, larger programs would hire successful head coaches from smaller group of five programs to fill their openings or highly respected assistant coaches from larger programs. Usually, these coaches take most of their staff with them to their new program, but the players that made them successful and they recruited, coached, and know their system get left behind until now. I'm curious your thoughts about how the new transfer rule will impact the ability for student athletes to follow their coach to a new school and allow for that new head coach to achieve more success in his first couple years because he wouldn't have to weed out the players who don't fit their scheme until the new recruits can make an impact, a la Scott Frost. This would have an even more dramatic uh, impact on a group of five programs who not only have to replace the successful coaching staff, but potentially their most impactful players as well causing more disparity with potential revenue loss through the group of five programs. Thanks for your good work. You do Ryan and Dave carry on and go Bruins. Wait. So he said, thanks for the good work. You do Ryan period. And That's Dave awesome. and Dave carry on and go Bruins. I love it. Ryan G from your <laughs> That was
0: good, Ryan. Um, so I would say two flaws in that idea. One, that a coach from a smaller program is necessarily going to want to bring his players um, to a higher level. Um, Usually that's not the way it works. Um, A lot of these guys won't necessarily want those guys because they think they'll be able to recruit and largely are right, a higher caliber of player at their new place. And two, that all of those guys would want to come with the coach. Um, A lot of guys pick a school, especially at the recruiting level based on geography and proximity and uh, many other factors besides who specifically the head coach is. Sometimes it's a position coach. Sometimes it's just simply the institution. I would say more often than not, it's the institution um, and uh, geography. So unless you're a guy like, I guess like a Matt Wells going to Colorado, that's sort of the same area. But even still, the guys at Utah State that you recruited maybe aren't the same type of guys that you want at Colorado. So um, I wouldn't... In certain instances, in certain individual instances, I'm sure it could play a role, but I don't know how big of a deal that would be.
1: I don't think so. And just to be clear, the transfer rules, like if you the head coach leaves, is it it opens up? Uh, do you know the specifics on the rule of what um, what you're allowed to do? I'm not exactly sure. No, I'm not totally sure. I know that it's easier now for guys to get out of
0: the and to talk to coaches during the year because they can put themselves on that transfer list. Yes, that then allows kind of free contact, but, um, I, I mean, I, I think there's, I don't think it's fully penalty free transfers at this point, unless
1: I'm, I didn't think so. And I didn't think Scott Frost brought like a whole bunch of guys from, no, no. I mean, that's, yeah, you, I think part of the reason you make the the jump up is that you can get, now you're going to get good college players. You get at that program, but you're going to have a, a higher quality of athlete where you're going most of the time. Um, but I'm, I'm the, the Colorado one's going to be interesting. Because I think there's some really good, you know, candidates out there. But can you win at Colorado? I mean, Rick George made it sound like, hey, this was like one of the best jobs around. Uh, we'll see. But I think Matt Wells, um, he's a good candidate too. There's a bunch of ones that've been, you know, really successful out there. Uh, someone emailed me, was it like the North Dakota coach or something? Like you, you could go, you know, what is it, one AA or FCS, where uh, you know people that win those kind of championships. I don't know. Like that's a pretty big jump too, but. You can look at all that kind of stuff. We haven't, you know, Bull Baldwin hasn't been as good as Cal's offensive coordinator as his offenses were yeah. at Eastern Washington. But, you know, I guess give him some time too. Yeah. And take Brandon McElwain away from him. <laughs> you can't use that.
0: All right. This is from Utah fan in Oregon. Head coaching question. Hi, guys. Love the podcast and all you do. I got two quick questions for you. I'm a Utah fan and I'm familiar with the fan base. Always wanting to get a new head coach when things, uh, when things start to get a little rocky, I'm guessing, uh, was the firing of Mike McIntyre a little premature and how truly attractive is the head coaching job at Colorado?
1: I don't think it was premature. No, I think it was right. Yeah, it's it's the Oregon State game sort of like puts you on notice mm-hmm. and you weren't able to win after that. And then just to see this as a team that does play well in the first quarter, like they hadn't given up a touchdown in that whole six-game losing streak. And then just to give up thirty straight to to Utah, it it's tough because he has done some really good things. And I, I think it's the right move there. I don't think it's premature. Um and I, I I like Rick George. Like when you hear him speak, like he just seems like he's a athletic director that gets it. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, maybe it's just because I'm used to hearing athletic yeah. directors that don't get it. No, but he sounds like a guy you'd be okay working
0: for too. And yeah, that, that's part of what makes a job attractive. I think with specific head coaches, you want to have a good relationship with your AD, um, especially guys who've had previous, you know, history being fired or you know having bad relationships with their AD. Um, George seems like a good enough guy. Um, the Colorado job isn't like the best Power Five job. I don't think it's like a top. I, I think at its peak, it's probably like the 6th or 7th best program in the Pac-12, but it's not there. Um, Right now, it recruits at a bottom 3 level in the Pac-12, but the potential is there. It's been a national title-winning program before. Um, So I think it's like, going back to my Dino Babers, it's a comfortably better job than Syracuse. Yeah, Um, And I think... There is the potential there for it to be very good. It's not like a hopeless program like Kansas. Like, there is the potential for it to be very good, um, but you need the right mix. You need the right mix of a good, very good recruiting head coach, very good recruiting staff, and an innovative scheme. I think at this stage of its life in the Pac-12 versus the Big 12, I think it needs to be an innovative scheme that can attract players nationally.
1: Some fun offense, uh, you know, like whatever you got to do. Yeah. And I think you're right. And it's, and he talked about it, you know, being like, you know, such a beautiful setting. Like it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome there. You know, it's a great, it's a great place. You can attract a lot of talent and what did uh, you know, back in the day when they were good, they got a lot of like Southern California players. They got Mm -hmm. a lot like JC guys are coming out there and And a lot of Texas too. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I think it was the right time. Um, And I think, you know, there's some, it's, it's, it can be a pretty attractive place. So we'll see. And it, you know, it helps be in the PAC 12 too. Like yeah. it, it might be appealing for a Matt Wells.
0: Yeah. It's a power five job. So, and then second question, is there anything that can be done to
1: save Clay Helton's job? Yeah. And I mean, that, I think if he beats Notre Dame, yeah, that probably does it. I I, I think it does. It, he might. And I, you know, Dave's baffled when I say it. It's like, he still might not get fired. I, I I'm leaning less that way now. Cause I think there's going to be a lot more pressure on him, but I don't think Lynn Swan, everything I've been told. I mean, he doesn't talk a lot, but he didn't want to do this right now. And he's a guy that doesn't like to be told what to do. He's always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And he thinks he knows what's going on. So it's, it's one of those things. Like if you're a USC fan, you're not helping. If every time you run into him, you're like, you got to fire him. That's something that he tunes out. And like, it's like, I'm going to prove you wrong. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think there's going to be bigger money donors, which is going to be what moves this. Cause Losing to Cal was like, yeah, losing to UCLA, like two and eight. Chip Kelly is, is, is pretty bad. And then you get smoked by Notre Dame. I, I just feel like there's not going to be any, there's going to be so much, no matter what the AD wants to do, I, it, it's almost like out of his hands at that point.
0: But look, Utah fan and Oregon brings up a good point here at the end. I know this year has been a little rough, <laughs> but I really think he needs a little more time to get all of his guys in place. And that's a great point. Yeah. He hasn't
1: even had a full four year cycle. No, and you look at the successful coaches from USC; like they never were good in their third year. Like no, no, like John McKay never. Okay, well he won a national championship, but, but, but... did he win it in a dominant fashion? <laughs> no, I think that year it wasn't. It right, it wasn't until '72, like that he won dominantly. And and Pete Carroll didn't they lose a the game that year? They Pete Carroll lost a game on that national championship year, hey. his third year. So like that's and it was to Cal, wasn't it? <laughs> It was the last time he lost the cow. So I'm just saying, you lose to Cal in your
0: third year. Quay Hilton, Pete Carroll did the same thing.
1: Yeah, that's, the parallels are striking. There's very. <laughs> oh, we have consensus. Uh Okay, the last one. This looks strange. Uh Kevin, I know what day I'm gonna die. Do I? I haven't proofread this. Hopefully, holy this- shit. Uh, I just don't know what year it's been during the last few minutes of a close USC UCLA game thought I grew out of heart racing tension by now uh, on team Medicare <laughs> also must have residual battered Bruin syndrome. I can't believe UCLA beat him. Joshua Kelly. What a special player slash person extra happy for his success. Night skies finish on top. Sometimes not last as the saying goes, I thought, didn't Joshua Kelly get arrested for like beating up a nun or something? Didn't I? <laughs> didn't, isn't that what I heard? <laughs> no. Are you sure? Like, I mean, with just a smile on his face <laughs> the whole time. I'm just kidding. No, he seems like a really. I actually heard him on uh, Petros and Money locally, and uh, he wasn't like the most comfortable kid being on the radio, but yeah, was seemed, like a super. You can genuine, hear the
0: smile on his face. Yeah,
1: super genuine yeah. kid. So I was just kidding. He didn't beat up a nun, as far as I know. Like, no, maybe he did. Like, we don't know. No. I I don't think he beat up a nun uh, just for... He would set fire to a convent from afar. (laughs) Just with his mind? Yeah. Telekinesis thing? Okay. uh, I did see uh, Carrie. Uh, Do you remember that movie? Yeah. So this was the first, if we want to do a side note, uh, first Stephen King novel ever to be made into a movie. And we saw it like Halloween at the Hermosa Beach Playhouse. It's right near my house. They shot a lot of the scenes of the movie, like when they're going into the prom, uh-huh. that was all outside the playhouse. So they were, they had people dress up and everything and come, and it was actually kind of fun. I hadn't seen it for so many years, but that'd be awesome if you could just like make crap happen like that with yeah, your mind. It'd be, it'd be kind of neat. I'd do it. little, little side note there. Um, uh, P- Pabico. Pabico. What is this? He's a wide receiver. Oh, Pabico inches away from making that catch at the end of the first half. I was like, is that some word? I don't know. I believe he would, which wouldn't be new. I believe he would have scored a spectacular touchdown as the defenders kept running into the end zone when he backtracked to attempt the catch at the five time to blue the bell. I'll oh, paint the bell blue. And thanks for the entertaining chats. You make the season more fun. Well, thanks, Kevin. So the
0: Pabico. P- 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 oh. his name is Christian Pabico. Kunnen- oh. And I've often thought, if you switch that and you made him Pabiko Christian, that'd be awesome. that's a team that would dominate the Trinity League. <laughs> He'd be at Servite yeah. or something. <laughs> no, like Christian. you put that as a school. Oh, Pabico like, Christian, yeah, okay. Pabico Christian would be dominant.
1: Yeah, they would. They would be a fifteen-point favorite over Servite, and yeah. uh, I think it would be a pick'em against like Bosco. Oh, yeah. And uh, wait, yeah. Bosco's there. there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. With it, modern day is Crespi in that? No. Crespi's too far north, yeah, right? Yeah, they'd
0: be too far north. Uh I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Mission League I did Trinity a League, like I
1: that. did a uh like a radio interview with like one of the Catholic like radio stations down there. And they're like uh-huh. they're talking all tr- Trinity League and whatever like USC and I'm like dude, I don't and they're like asking like Trinity Trinity League like like team questions like dude, I know individual players. I don't know like what, <laughs> you know, what, what the the, the record between these two schools are and what that means. Like, I don't know that stuff. No, we're
0: not there to watch high school football. <laughs> we're there to ISO on
1: one guy, one dude. Yeah. yeah. Which is always like kind of thing. Phew. That's us. That's, That's it. nice. Uh, I feel like my voice is to where your voice is now. I am in bad shape. You are. It's not good. Well, you did a great job, man. Um, I hope it wasn't too annoying to listen to. They were herocious. No, we were pretty good. It wasn't that bad. Yeah. Uh, I think I overused the drop again, but we 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 had like some spots where it was appropriate. Like using it on the email, like whenever yeah. I said it. Uh, but change the way I think it was Sean, change the way you spell Herocious. So what's the official spelling now?
0: I think it should be H-O-R-O-C-I-O-U-S.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cause I used the I yeah, but yeah, hero yeah. I did H-E-R but tried to do the mm-hmm. atrocious spelling at the end. So, but yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I like it. Yeah. So if you hashtag herocious with H O and one R yeah, and the, tr- the rest is like atrocious. Yeah. Perfect. It's beautiful. All right. Well, that's David Woods. Uh, I am Ryan Abraham. We are the podcast of champions. I hope you guys all have a very wonderful Thanksgiving. Holy crap. We went two hours and 18 minutes. I didn't even realize that. Um,
0: Time flies when you're having fun.
1: It is. that We talked for two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, we did. I'm about to die. I'm going to die. And I got to do another podcast here in like five minutes. Ah! And I just got like a text from like Mason in Ireland to come on and talk. So I was like, oh, like this. It just happened. Like this just. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good, but it's it's hard after a while. All right. Yeah. Talking people are like someone out there digging a ditch listening. Like, yeah, you're you're talking. Yeah, that's really tough. Really hard life. <laughs> All right. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast of champions and we will talk to you next time.